Hello and welcome to another special edition of the British Wrestling Experience, right here on postwrestling.com. Today, I'm your host, Benno. With me as always, it's Jamesy. Hi, Benno. How are you? I'm good, You're holding the floor today and... Holding the fort in, ben, in Martin's absence there, I see. I'm doing my best. Big shoes to fill. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, with, Absolutely. With, Mar- with Martin not here, we've uh, we've drafted in uh, Joe Lemon of uh, my other podcast, Grapple Spotlight. I think uh, Martin's been uh, doing some work for us on Grapple these uh, last couple of weeks, and we've got another appearance coming up soon. It's kind of like a, a short-term transit, transfer kind of thing, a loan system. Uh, good to have you on this side anyway, Joe. Oh, no, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me back on again. You know, I think Martin's gotten over his fear of having me back on this podcast at this point as well, you know. He's done a runner, tagging though, hasn't he? Tagging out. Yeah, we're, we're, he's done a runner, though, hasn't he? He doesn't want, he doesn't want to uh, be around for the, uh, for, for the kick-off. <laughs> he's, he's washed his hands of us, I think, for tonight, has he? That's it. I think, I think Martin was like, oh, you know what? I, I can leave Jamesy and Barrow in charge. Leave him in charge of the house. They can look after it. No, nothing big's going to happen. They're just going to they're gonna go on about Ring of Honor for about three or four hours. They'll have the make go rounds. It'll be fine. What's the worst that can happen? And then the last 24 hours happened and uh, God help us all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what a fucking, what a 24 hours in wrestling, Jamesy. I mean, like, we are a, a British wrestling podcast, but, uh, you know, in a wider European wrestling podcast. And there are ways this incredible news day of the last 24 hours fits into European wrestling in general, but my god, we can't, we cannot do this podcast without talking it. Like we were, we were literally to break the kind of the wall down. We were literally planning on doing this podcast Wednesday night, recording it for a Friday release date, and like Wednesday night was when all of the WWE Black Wednesday release news started happening. Adding on to the already crazy week that WWE, WWE and Vince McMahon specifically had had. And it was just a case of, like, I don't think any of us could have even concentrated on recording this podcast because that was literally, every time you fresh Twitter, another name had been released from WWE. It was fucking mayhem on the Twitter timeline. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> and the other thing was, I reckon if we'd have recorded, like, Thursday, NXT UK would have gone under or something, or, like, we were thinking, oh, <laughs> what if there's more? I mean, it's been quiet so far today, so maybe I'm tempted to fake Jamesy, but it, it can't. We were like, yeah, we need to see how this thing plays out and make sure there is actually a wrestling scene to talk about, by the time we, uh, we come on the podcast. Yeah, let, let, let's be honest. The, the reason we delayed the recording was for 24 hours because we were certain NXT UK was going to be it was going to be killed <laughs> there and then while we recorded and we'd have to we'd have to break we'd have to give our reactions live on air like but God like you know it's it, wrestling is a crazy business and WWE in particular is is a batshit insane company like but. Jesus, the, the the week like even you say a mad twenty four hours like like the week that they've had so far like there was what day did that documentary come out the Vice documentary where, oh, that, where that Vince McMahon Tuesday, yeah yeah so Vince McMahon's implicated in covering up a murder <laughs> and then I, I think I think the day before his vanity football his vanity football league um, was declared bankrupt so basically he didn't have to pay any of his creditors and then I saw Donald Trump giving a speech a couple of days later where he's referring to the great Vincent McMahon being on one of his advisory panels to help him out with the economy and it's like what on earth is going on here and then of course they decided they were going to continue taping shows and not only that they were going to start going live three times a week uh, putting all their putting all the talent and everybody's health at risk and then as you said Wednesday happened Black Wednesday they're calling it where this, hey, this massive 
Don't forget Linda's money as well. <laughs> oh yes, 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 yeah. yes. Of course. All of a sudden they went. They went from. Didn't they have police calling into the tapings, um, yeah. checking in on them and that kind of thing? And then eighteen million dollars later, they're an essential service that absolutely has to run, and they're they're just as important as paramedics and firemen and policemen and that kind of thing. It's just, you you literally couldn't wait. You almost become blasé to it. It's so crazy. Like, I think we look back on this stuff in 10 or 20 years time and think like, why were we not? Because you just shrug your shoulders and say that's WWE at this point. You know what I mean? Like, it's just crazy. Is it, a, is it the darkest week in the history of the company, possibly? You've got to say it. If, if not the company, Vince McMahon himself, personally, just based on that mm, list yes. games, he said. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and was, that blows us Dark weeks. Oh, let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, like, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, when murder is possibly not the worst thing that happened with Vince McMahon this week. You know, whether you're the, him sacking his XFL staff and and not paying his creditors that you mentioned, or you know, in the middle of a pandemic while the company is profitable, releasing a load of his wrestlers, like who as wrestlers as well, that's another big part of the story. His wrestlers who are unable to, to be to get any other way because there's no other wrestling companies running right now and they might not run for the next three or four months, six months, a year for all we know. Like yeah, when um when murder is possibly not the worst thing Vince McMahon's done this week, you know it's a <laughs> it's it's a famous week in uh, in Vince McMahon's life. I think in about five years there's a really great espn 30 for 30 that's kind of uh you know a possibility on this week in vince mcmahon's career because you know think of where they can start they can start with the xfl you can travel down the coronavirus you can connect it to government as well you can look at all of the kind of things that he had going on at one time and I think it would make for an absolutely fascinating documentary that would make him look like the absolute arsehole that he well and truly is as a person, as a businessman. Um, yeah, and I would thoroughly enjoy an absolute hatchet job burial of Vince McMahon, personally. You'd enjoy it, but there's still people out there defending him. Like, that, that's what shocked me. Like, I, I think I can have, as you've seen, Jamesy, and you've, I think even you've been inspired a bit, Joe. I've literally spent the last 24 hours arguing with Twitter trolls who, apparently, this is just normal. You know, sacking a load of your staff on a, and furloughing them during a, during a pandemic. Ah, it's just, you know, it, it's just business, guys. We should just, we should just get over it. There's not, there's not a, you know, any wider concerns there. There's no moral issue there with, again, the billionaire who just uh, saved a load of money, basically saved a load of money on the XFL by not paying his creditors, but also spent a load of money on the XFL. What is it, tens of millions over these last few months into the hundreds of millions? You know, he can afford that, but you know that um, that couple of million of uh, of wages that are uh, you know no way Jose's wages ah can't afford that. Not 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 during a pandemic. Need to boost the profits by a, a couple of dollars. Need to get that stock price up just to to make sure. The, uh, the investors are happy to make sure they've got some nice news for the conference call next week. Never mind, you know, the livelihoods of, of the people involved or, yeah, the people who, who have who have swore loyalty to him and through a pandemic have turned up, like, like No Way Jose turned up at Raw, didn't he, on Monday? Like, oh. made his way through, you know, as, an, as a quote-unquote essential worker. There was a picture of him, like, on a, on a, on a airport train and getting a plane out. Jerry Lawler, the 70-year-old. Flew out to Florida, you know, it, 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 but that's all fine, you know, it, when Vince McMahon needs to save a, a few grand, uh, anybody is fair game to be getting rid of. It's just, yeah, what an un- unbelievable week. 
Yeah. And like if, if you're the type of person that at this point, like all those things we listed off and all the things that have happened, hot on the heels of the Saudi shows, hot on the heels of them insisting on running a WrestleMania in an entry empty arena, and you're still going on the internet and defending WWE, like there will never be any convincing a person like that at this point that that what the, what you know that that their opinion is absolute nonsense. You know what I mean? And like another great tweet I saw um, in the last few days was like the next time I hear people coming online when somebody gets given a job in WWE and saying how happy you are for them and how great it is for them that they've been signed up, I feel sorry for anyone that works for that company. You know what I mean? Like you, you work for a maniac. You're made to feel like you have to go to work in a pandemic. You're made to, you're told that you're an essential member of staff and then put, like, no, no way, Jose, you know what I mean? Like a, a bit part player in WWE puts his health at risk, gets on an airplane, gets on a, on an underground train, turns up for work as a so-called essential employee. And within 48 hours of him being told he's, he's essential, he's told he's inessential and he's told we don't need you anymore. Off you go. You know what I mean? Like it's it's everything that we like. We have banged the drum. How long have we been talking, Benno, and you guys on Grapple as well about hoarding talent, about WWE mm. signing up everybody who could possibly anyone who can lace their boots up in wrestling, not because they value them as people and as talent and as people that they want to help develop as wrestlers, and not because they think that they can make money for the company, but because they cynically want to stop them going anywhere else where they might make money for somebody else. And now we're seeing that, you know. You can have 300 people on your payroll, but it only takes an unforeseen event like this coronavirus thing to suddenly kind of challenge that. And all of a sudden, these people that, that thought that they were valued employees of WWE and thought they were living their dream and all these things we hear people saying online about, you know, wrestling for WWE is my dream and their WrestleMania dream and all this kind of thing. Like, get real. People, anybody who works for that company at the moment who's sitting beside their phone, bricking it because they might get a call from somebody saying you're fired or your contract is up. Like, this is the dream. This is, the, you know, and we, we've, we've sneered at people who've gone to NXT and done jobs at house shows and that kind of thing. And, you know, we've talked about people, maybe maybe they should dream bigger than working for NXT UK and that kind of thing. But like, this is it coming home to roost. This whole policy of hoarding talent, all of a sudden they have to let 30 or 40 people go and they haven't even started an NXT yet, you know? Yeah, yeah one of the things I worry about as well is, you know, th this has been done essentially out of fear of some TV money being pulled. It doesn't sound like he's even spoken to Fox or to USA from what has been done so that he can meet projected profits for the year. And it's just the worst example of, you know, profits and a quarterly profits meeting uh, being put ahead of the lives of people and employees mm. and so the just sheer blase lack of care for employees here is just shocking. And then you think about Trump getting the great Vince McMahon uh, on this, like in as an economic advisor. You think what he's just done in this company is bad enough to his own employees. Now he's going to advise the president on possible economic policy and advice that could affect the entire country. Like, that's pretty fucking worrying for the USA right now, if you ask me. Uh, it just, the whole week and the whole sort of representation of Vince McMahon, it's done nothing positive for him, but he's done some terrible things, but ended up in a stronger position in terms of power because he's now got 
the president vocally, I suppose, putting him over mm. in one of his daily press conferences. It's just absolutely baffling. Money, money saves money, doesn't it? He's he's fell, he somehow fell forwards despite like this week, despite like you said the the audacity of him being like on this on this council to get the economy going when he literally bankrupted one of his companies what four or five <laughs> days ago. It feels like two months ago at this point, but it was this week. Like just it, it's it's absolutely nuts. And yeah, like you said, but a uh, company that was a complete vanity project. Yeah. And if that oh, company yeah. didn't exist. He might have been well. He can afford to pay these guys that he's released, but you know there would have been even less excuse for letting these guys go if he didn't start up a secondary football league that failed once and was destined to fail again. It's yeah. it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, and in their own press conference, in their own literal press release, they literally say, "Oh yeah, this will we're going to save like what was it, like 140 million from not building the new WWE headquarters, but by sacking all these people, we're going to save four million. And it's like even I think Meltzer's reported. I know some of his numbers have been a little bit all over the place, but it, he's reporting that it's probably much less than four million a month mm. at the same yeah. wage bill. I think he's got it around two million or so. And they've they literally say in their own press release that they've got you know, and there's debate on this five hundred million worth of cash and reserves there available to them you know if the worst happens that's just that just sums it up doesn't it i mean you know not all of that's going to be immediate cash on hand i've seen it described as low as maybe 90 million cash and the rest of it in in assets that they could turn into cash at some point but either way they can weather the storm they are better place than any other wrestling company we talk about on this podcast or on grapple to cover this and to be fine and to live they, they would Again, like you said there, Joe, they, they would be making a... Pro- that's the biggest thing, for that's the biggest bugbear for me with this all over. It's that they would be making... Those TV deals, as long as they are still in place and we're not missing the major elements of this news story and no one said otherwise at the moment, they are making enough money right now that they're still going to make a profit um, over the next period. And it's it's just about making that slight bit more of profit. And yeah, it's... Yeah. I, 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 I give it the same thought that I give, like... You know, this is not just wrestling when, you know, when Richard Branson, some of his companies, some of the Virgin companies were laying off staff a couple of months ago. That was disgusting because you're thinking, you know, I feel like Richard Branson's got the money to go in his own pocket here to maybe cover some of this. Same thing happened with, you know, different people, the likes of Gordon Ramsay and other, you know, billionaire football clubs in this country. That happened too, didn't it? You know, football clubs in this well, country. Look at Liverpool now. They, uh, they oh. reversed their decision. Mm. They backed they down got, very they, quickly. They got, shamed. they got shamed into backing down. That's the thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do we think that's what's going to happen with NXT UK? Because like we, like we, we joked at the start, like how is, you know, if Kurt Angle and Rusev are getting released, then surely, you know, something's happening with NXT. Like, does, could NXT UK possibly make WWE any money? There isn't a chance anything a about that penny. brand has been has been profitable, is it, James, over the last, well, the entire run of it? Like, you would think they're next, but is that what we're seeing? Do you think we're going to see, like, a, a furlough scheme like we've seen some of the Premier League clubs try and, and turn their back on, where essentially our government and the public pairs, are, public pairs generally are, are, will pay, you know, 80% of the NXT UK guys, guys wages while while they can't work and you see WWE leaning on that like what is the future for NXT UK right now not that it's the, the biggest thing in, in this story but it's just for me being like it stood out as surely that's the domino that falls next well 
definitely they haven't that, that whole thing hasn't made them a penny it, this is like we talk about Vince's vanity project being the XFL like like NXT and NXT UK is Triple H's vanity project and we know for a fact that NXT has been running a massive loss since it started so there's no way this this tiny little offshoot of it in the UK is, is making any more money than that so first of all it has never made them a penny um, secondly like these guys are you know I've heard you guys refer to them as the the D or E show of WWE. You know what I mean? They're behind 205 Live. They're behind Raw. They're behind SmackDown. They're behind NXT, NXT proper. They're at the very bottom of the food chain. The only thing that may save them is the fact that they're on so little money that it wouldn't really make a difference to them if they cut them or not. Um, and as you said, like the, I don't. Number one, does Vince even know NXT UK exists? <laughs> does he even know? Does he even know how many people are there? How many people are working? Like, but I would imagine that they would jump on the idea of this furlough scheme and like the idea that Vince McMahon could keep people on his books and get the British taxpayer to pay the wages for him over the next three or four months. Like you can imagine him loving the idea of that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like the, the the idea that an American company like WWE could use a UK scheme and use UK taxpayers' money in an environment where we have hospital workers getting sick in their job every day of the week. We have hospital workers dying. We've people die, thousand people dying a day in the UK at the moment. And WWE would take taxpayers' money and use it to pay wrestlers. And like you might think, God, there's no way anybody would do that. These guys have no shame. You know, we've just listed a, a list of awful things they've done this week. I would say that that's almost certainly the way it will go. Um, and like you t- you talk about comparable things, like even Ring of Honor, a very, very badly run promotion and a promotion that in particular has a history of treating women wrestlers very, very badly. Like it came out this week that there were some women's wrestlers who were booked to do shows for Ring of Honor in the, in the coming weeks and the shows were cancelled and Ring of Honor still paid them. So they're even getting showed up by the likes of a shambles of a promotion like Ring of Honor, like over in Japan. You've got all the promotions coming together to go and discuss things with the government, talk about testing for wrestlers, talk about things they can do to help wrestlers while they can't wrestle. And like you've Tanahashi coming out, the great Tanahashi in New Japan coming out and explicitly saying that he thinks that wrestling should be the last thing that comes back be way after any normal sports come back into action. You know what I mean? So mm. like the contrast, there's direct. It's not as if this is the only wrestling company around and you can't sit here and say, well, any wrestling company would do this. We have direct evidence of other smaller wrestling companies who we all thought weren't run very well and they're still paying their employees they're still paying people for work they didn't do and the WWE are doing this kind of stuff like it's 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 reprehensible like and we can't condemn it enough yeah to be honest when I saw the announcement uh maybe this was like basically they were going to be laying people off my first thought was oh I think they're going to shut NXT UK and I think they're going to try and use the government subsidy and the furlough scheme um, to basically close shop on NXT UK because they aren't going to be able to do any tapings for the kind of long haul I imagine at the moment anyway Um, so don't see the point of having these guys under contract but then I was thinking as well would it not depend on where their contracts are registered and also uh, as independent contractors how, how would that work potentially like necessarily like when it comes to the furlough scheme that's mm. the thing i i was a bit lost on and i wondered whether they'd be classed as self-employed so then that may be quite complicated because i know there was a whole other issue with that as well so it's what the sort of status of the contract is i think and where they're potentially registered so are there contracts i don't know if they are 
aren't classed as independent contracts NXT UK. Are they registered in Stamford? Are they registered, I don't know, in, as a subsidiary in the UK in some form? That's where I think it becomes a little bit murky and a little bit complicated when it comes to this. Because I think it would seem a little bit dirty for an American company that runs this kind of small business in the UK to try and claim from a UK-based furlough scheme when, in fact, their business is done and conducted in the US. That was the way I was thinking about this to some extent. I don't know if you guys thought along similar lines, but I just thought it would be a bit of a cheek if they tried to pull from that money that is there for British companies and that has been paid by the British taxpayer. I know they run shows here, Mm. but I just think there is a kind of grey area when it comes to what NXT UK is as a British business, let's say. Yeah, that's them all over, though, isn't it? Like they will. I could see. I could see. I could see. I could see it happening. I could see there being a minor kickoff. You know, you might get a story in the BBC website. It might get a little bit of play on, you know, on like a Sky Sports news story, but probably not on Sky Sports news. It's that kind of level of story. And if we've learned anything this week. Like they don't care about that stuff. Like one, the media sure, doesn't amazing. media doesn't care enough to properly cover it. They'd be like, look at the coverage UFC got when you know Dana White was looking to launch his Fight Island, and that got a fair amount of coverage, and then he had to back down. Even you know the alleged, and I've got to throw that word out alleged because maybe we should have thrown it out a bit more earlier. The word alleged, you know, the alleged murder cover up and the alleged stuff with you know bribing officials in Florida, like that stuff. You know, especially the front of the stuff has gotten a little bit of traction in the news, but WWE will just continue to put out press releases. Have Stephanie McMahon talk about putting smiles on faces on Twitter. They'll grin and bear the way through it. They got the way through the you know the the Saudi Arabia stuff. They, they went there and ran a show about three weeks after you know the most famous murder story you know of this century. They still went out there and ran a show three weeks later and, and weren't bothered. Like I, I feel like yeah, I think I think. They are the type of company, you know, Fulham did it, or the Premier, you know, if you want to talk about the cards, they did it, they furloughed some staff. Premier League clubs have tried, some have, some have pulled back, but some have some have gone right through with it. The, the fact that they're an American company does does kind of change the story a bit and probably will get her a bit of attention, but I just don't think they're going to care, both from a, a moral point of view and from a, ah, we get some bad PR, we'll get through this, as long as the stock price looks right then all is good and you'll have the the normal faces that you know who like to defend this stuff from the from the UK end of uh, of WWE will be defending it on Twitter and we'll all argue for a couple of days and then it, the story will go away and they'll get away with it like they do everything fucking else it seems this week a lot of these NXT UK guys have been a little bit quiet, though. I've not seen anything from them so far. Have you? They've got to be worried, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. you know... I, mean, I saw a tweet by Jordan Devlin, all right. What did he okay. say? I just I saw a tweet from Jordan Devlin, a kind of a very safe, generic kind of mm. terrible day tweet, and I feel for anybody who's lost their job kind of a thing, blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I would be very nervous if I was those guys, like, you because, be, you know, yeah. you have to. You would be, you know. And, like, I suppose the, the point that you said about it, Benno, about people who'll stand their ground, like, they, they'd always have the Seth Rollinses of this world to come on Twitter, and he's been a busy oh. boy in the last 24 hours, hasn't he, between oh, getting, in a, getting in rows with David Starr and getting in rows with, I think he was fighting with the voices of wrestling guys there overnight and everything and you'll always have these company guys like and like for him to come out like and you know now's we laugh about it and we no now is not the time <laughs> and like, but, 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 but like to to 
to come online and to have the what's the word for it like the lack of tact to talk about how difficult it is for WWE to be doing this at the moment like come on like for god's sake you know what I mean like he must be the most insecure person in the world that I I, I like people talk about what is Seth Rollins a bad person or is he stupid or is he insecure and I think it's it's a combination of the last two he's I don't think he's very bright and I think he's a little bit insecure as well and I think he has this thing that you know that the higher-ups in WWE, I don't think they really respect Seth Rollins in the way that they respect an alpha male like a Brock Lesnar or a Triple H, you know, these guys, you know what I mean? And Vince McMahon respects people like Brock Lesnar who'll stand up to him and who'll tell him to piss off if he doesn't like his ideas and that kind of thing. And there's definitely an element of Seth Rollins being so insecure in himself that he feels the need to go online all the time and be the company guy and prove to Vince that I'm the company guy and no matter what, I'll have your back. No matter what awful things people are saying about you on the internet, I'll be there to to, to defend you to the hilt, you know, and it's just, it's just pathetic. Mm. It's so bad. And it, it, it is, it's just that whole... You know, it, it, I'm, I love that, like, basically he's saying, you know, wrestlers need to show some unity and wrestlers need, and it's like, hmm, that word unity. Unity. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he knows what that is. Yeah. I think he just thinks unity is being nice to one another on Twitter. Yeah. I don't think Seth Rollins, uh, James, you and on the head of the insecurity stuff and him being a bit thick. I don't, does he know what a union is? Like, to me, he comes across as just someone who's just lived in a bubble for about 10 years now Mm. um, and is so deep in that bubble that when he's confronted with the real world and a real world happening, he kind of can't cope and he kind of can't hold his own. You look at Will Ospreay taking him to school last summer. I haven't seen this David Starr stuff, but I imagine he's absolutely killing the guy. Like Seth Rollins has lived in this self-important bubble for years now, whereas these guys who have been independent wrestlers, working for New Japan, have been these kind of world and weary travellers, learning stuff about the world, learning stuff about contracts, learning stuff about getting paid, learning stuff about how to live life outside of a WWE system. And I just think Seth Rollins is so, I don't know, kind of tied to that system at this point that he's not a spokesperson for anything. And if he is, what an awful spokesperson he is. His definition of like being a locker room leader is not how I would see a locker room leader. A locker room leader defends and fights for the likes of you know your spuds of the world and you know the other wrestlers who've been released and doesn't fight for you know come on guys we need to get together and we need to we need to all band together in this difficult time and you know the the company's under attack and you know it's just like no your company's not under attack mate your your billionaire owner uh, has decided to save a few quid by sacking some of your mates that's not your your company under attack your company would be just fine after all this, and that's that's a big part of the story for me. It's it's it's. I kind of said it, you know, last week when, and again, we we'll, we'll probably have to go into this a bit more detail, Joe, and we we could finally come to the spotlight this week. But like, for me, that line of defending the wrestlers, like I've found it hard this week, especially when you know we're all kicking off on Twitter, going, "Oh, this is disgusting." They're clashing them as essential workers, and they're making them travel across the country. And then Jerry Lawler posts a picture of himself on a plane, seventy years old, you know, not long recovered from a heart attack, happy as Larry that he's going to the show. Daniel Bryan, of all people, you know, is is posting videos hyping his SmackDown match on Friday. Uh, you know, Daniel Bryan, who's got a pregnant wife at home, and has to, if the reports are true, has to self-isolate from it for two weeks every time he returns home or at least for 
for some period and has his own health issues, you know, with, with, with I think it's a, it's an immune issue, isn't it? Immunity issue with him. Um, like the, 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 when I, when I, when my immediate reaction is to kind of take to the internet and take to podcasts like this and, and defend the wrestlers and go, Oh, this is bullshit. You know, there's going to be a Seth Rollins and 20 wrestlers stood behind him who just, they're not going to be up for a David Starr, you know, unionize or rebellion or or doing anything to you know make their situation better. We as as fans and people covering this stuff can can shout as loud as we want, but when yeah, when that's your locker room leader, even in the face of all of this, then you know I, I wonder what it's even for. Is it even worth us you know, spending this level of energy on it all? That's the thing. And like a locker room leader wouldn't be on Twitter in the first place. That'd be the first thing. A locker room leader would be doing his talking in the locker room with the people who are members of the locker room. And as you said, advocating on behalf of those people in the locker room. But like I, I, I have no confidence that any WWE based union will ever, ever happen. Mm-hmm. There's too many cowards in that dressing room. There's too many people who, as you always say on Grapple Joe, who are just so happy to have a job there that nothing else is almost important. You know what I mean? And there's such marks for those letters at the top of the contract that they're just glad to have jobs. You know what I mean? And, and, and they don't care about work conditions. There may be an independent union, and I do feel like there is a future for David Starr's um, idea of a union, but, but a union within WWE, if it, hadn't, if it didn't happen already, like if it didn't happen around the times of the steroid scandal, if it didn't happen when multiple wrestlers from an era of wrestling were literally dying because of what they were put through in the ring and because of what they took to, to, to work that schedule that they were put through in the 80s, and half, most of that generation are dead. Like if that didn't get them to come to come out and 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 start a union, why would they start now? You know what I mean. If, if being left on a runway in Saudi didn't promote them to do it, mm. why would they start now? Yeah, I think the thing is as well. You think about during that steroid trial. I know that Jesse Ventura tried. I know that yeah, Roddy did, Piper yeah. made sounds about it. You've got two guys there who would have been members of SAG um and who had like real star power real influence had a voice in the media whereas now wrestlers don't have that same level of star power and i don't feel like there's anyone really that's gonna you know lead the wrestlers along and try and get them on board and can have that level of influence you're gonna it's gonna take someone like uh god i'm trying i can't even think of anyone who would even consider it like i'm just trying to think of the litany of non-alpha males who are stars in wwe <laughs> and i just can't think of anyone because i don't think there's anyone who's got the stuff like daniel bryan yeah, i suppose samuel bryan and, uh, and sammy zayn are like the two most politically minded yeah. from like yeah. the left end of the scale but even them it doesn't sound like there's any noise coming and when david Starr has done such amazing work we've got to remember david star you know no one knows who david star is outside of our bubble and that's a real shame because he's a massive talent and he's done some amazing things and he's, he genuinely cares as much as people will try and have you believe he doesn't and he's doing it for himself no he's doing it because he gives a shit and he's politically motivated and the perspective he's coming from, you know, he is a a man of compassion and empathy for workers and wants to see rights there for workers who are treated unfairly in situations like this. But until you get like a major, major personality with kind of a little bit of little bit of influence, I, I just cannot see it happen. And like you said, you get stuck on a runway uh, in an oppre- in an oppressive regime over a payment that had been paid to a. Uh, 
sociopathic um, billionaire who's now part of Trump's advisory team on opening up the economy. And that hadn't been paid by, you know, an oppressive leader who, uh, well, I don't want to get done for libel, but has done some terrible, terrible things, apparently. Allegedly. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing, isn't it, at the end of the day? I, I just think they're just going to carry on doing what the fuck they want to do. But at the same time, right, is Sami Zayn happy there? Is Daniel Bryan happy there? Like, give it a fucking go, lads. Surely you both want to get out of there unionize have a look at it do some work on it like start thinking about it they'll never listen to this but you know if john pollock and waiting have any connections in wwe send this along to him because we're urging them to do it yeah uh, i'd love for it to happen but i just i don't see it i just yeah i think it's the whole independent yeah. like ha- has the word the way have the words independent contractor looked any any sillier than they have this week you know it's like it's a it's not a thing that exists. This is the again back to that Seth Rollins thing. That is literally something he said. Now's not the time, and it's like no now <laughs> now there is no better better time than now. This is exactly the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Honestly, you know, to quote Pete Dunne, it's not the way. It's not the way, Jamesy. That's why. Uh, oh, that looks okay. so bad now, doesn't it? <laughs> it looked bad in the first place, but oh, now Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> I find it hilarious that like Pete Dunne's become like this this heel to to hardcore fans. Meanwhile, like Nathan Cruz is is leading the rally online for like defending independent wrestling, and you've got the likes of you know Chris Brooks and Drew Parker on the outside, you know, who are actually you know speaking up a little bit and saying how disgusting all this stuff is. Um, and yeah, there's but fair play to them as well because they all have close friends in that company. You know what I mean? Mm. And like they're, they're good mates. They're very close to Pete Dunne, and they're still prepared to actually put their head above the fence and speak up. You know what I mean? Mm. And it, it's amazing how brave people are when they're not kind of under the control of, of a maniac in in, in Titan Towers. You know, <laughs> does make a difference, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, speaking of mates inside, I mean again from the like the European angle, can't help but but mention the the the, the, the keep saying Spud, the Drake Maverick. I suppose he's not Drake Maverick anymore, is he? He's back to Spud. Uh, the Spud video, then let's go with that. Uh, where you know he got he got himself released, uh, unfortunately, and he you know he's someone who you know I'm a massive fan of. Like he's not the thing with Spud is, and I kind of made this joke on Twitter. Like for Spud, like if if you were going by early two thousand stands of James, he's a Brit Res Hall of Famer. Like he he he. T- we said this kind yeah. of on it on the International Showdown review uh, two weeks ago as well. Like he he is someone who went from you know he's worked absolutely everywhere for one thing. Every super show you talk about, you know, International Showdown, down to the ROH show we're talking about later, he always pops up. But like for him, you know, for me, having a career trajectory where you you know. Appearing on Snog Mario Void was some pretty good mainstream press, but I'll leave that out. But I'm appearing on British Boot Camp, in winning British Boot Camp, in going to TNA. And for my money, I know a lot of people probably haven't seen it, but him in EC3 is one of my favourite Impact feuds of all time. They had one of my favourite Impact matches of all time. He got himself over. He got his job with WWE. He was given some absolute crap for opportunities. You know, he was the the general manager of the the cruiserweight division. He was the dude on Raw who had to piss his own pants because the contraption he tried to use didn't work. He was the 24-7 champion and literally the only one of those 24-7 champions who got himself over. I'm not saying any of this was good stuff, but like... credit to the performer that that man is he got every single thing he was given over and like I, for me you know him having that career run if you joked about that in early 2000 you'd probably any Brit Rose wrestler would have snapped your hands off to have that kind of run he's had and obviously you know he's not had the run that would you know that he deserves 
for his talents for for how good he is and how good he is at turning you know nothing into something. You know how good was that that indie run that he had? You know two years ago between Impact and WWE, yeah. he's doing the Amnesia run. Like I've got a huge amount of respect for him, and I like I like my heart watching that video. Obviously, he's working a little bit because you know he's. I don't doubt it's genuine emotion and he's genuinely crying on the video, but even then, you know, the worker that he is, he's talking about his matches coming up for 205 Live and he's trying to promote his matches. And, like, it was a tough watch for that reason, but it's a tough watch as well because it's just, yeah, my heart goes out. Someone like him who's out in Florida, as far as I know from people I know that know him, he doesn't have any, he won't have any kind of visa without the WWE. Like, that's his entire lifeline for for living out there. So is he going to have to come back home at this point? His entire life has been turned upside down and you know to say what i can't imagine he was even on that big a contract with wwe like he is the type of he is like the first person my mind goes to when you talk about victims of this just horrifically absolutely like and, and like i would say to any british wrestler who still harbors dreams of working for that company and who's sitting there thinking my goal is to get to nxt uk my goal is to go and work for vince mcmahon sit down and watch that video because you have a guy there, as you said, Benno, he pissed his pants in front of millions of people to get an angle over because the contraption they gave him didn't work. He convinced his wife on his wedding day to allow oh, them yeah. to come in and to, to, to allow them to come in and to shoot angles for the twenty four seven title. Imagine trying to bringing that to your wife and trying to convince her of that <laughs> on your actual wedding day. He could not have done more for that company. Every piece of shite angle he was given, like he was good as the GM of two hundred five live. I remember watching two hundred five live at the time he took it over, and it's probably the best run that that program has had in its existence. Everything he did, he did his absolute best with and got it over. And how do they repay him? The minute something comes up off you go and he's gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So don't talk to me about your dream of WWE. And like, you know, people give out to us for sneering about NXT UK. That's what you're going to work for. And that's how you're going to be treated. And like, you know, the upside for him is, I would say of all the people who've been released, he is one of the more talented people. He's one of the more creative people. He will find work. He will get work. And wherever he goes, he will improve the company he goes for. So he's not someone, there's some of those guys who are released, I'd be worried a little bit about it, but where they're going to get work in the current scene. When things get back to normal, I can see him having no problem. Like he he would be, I would say AEW should go and get him because he's, you know, he's 10, 12 years of of experience working in front of TV cameras. He can get things over either as a manager, as a wrestler. And the sickening thing is they're still making him wrestle. He's fired. He's crying his eyes out on camera and he still has to wrestle in their tournament for the Cruiserweight title. Like, it's just unbelievable. Isn't he not wrestling until next week as well, I saw? Is that the story? Oh, my God. I didn't realise that. Uh, Yeah, I've got a feeling. It's it's around Robin, so he has to do three matches on three separate nights, I'd imagine. So it's probably over a few weeks. Oh, I hope that's in the can somewhere. I really hope they're not making him do that. No, I think I've got a feeling they are. It's on live shows. Yeah, I'm sure that was reported, but... Like so, hold on. I'm trying to get my head around this. So, is he going to get like? Is he going to be paid for the next ninety days? Is he going to be paid for the next month? Like, is he going to get? Because surely, if he's wrestling for the next three weeks, that rolls over into May, doesn't it? If I'm what that is it today, the sixteenth of April. Yeah. Oh no, it will just miss May. So maybe he won't get May's paycheck then. Poor Spud. Fucking hell, they're a bunch of what jokes. If, what if he gets sick? Imagine if he contracts coronavirus wrestling for them. 
Like, it's just unbelievable. Uh, he could probably... Uh, Sobey's got a case for a tribunal there, potentially, yeah. if it comes to that. But I was, it is shocking what they've done. And you know what? I loved that video because it was genuine. But at yeah. the same time, to me, it showed what a great worker Spud is. And it represented just how good he is because he's clearly emotional. But he's seen an opportunity in his emotion He's going to get so much em- genuine empathy. He's getting it now from us, and we're three of the most cynical wrestling <laughs> fans <laughs> that you know probably exist out there, and especially appear on podcasts. That's for sure. And you know, my art goes out to the bloke. But I was watching that, thinking, right, I'm now more interested in Spud's matches at the same time. So he's got to be more interested in him, and he might up his value as he comes out of this. And yeah, indies won't start up again for a while. But you know what? I think to myself, if he comes back to the UK. He'd have a great Rev Pro run um, doing a Rockstar Spud reunion tour or something. I think there's mm. money in that potentially. But also, like you said there, Jamesy, I think AEW would be fools not to snap him up because he can do anything and he'll make anything work. I think I mean, when we the Ring of Honor show we're going to review in a minute, when I was watching that, I was thinking, God, Spud, even in here, this opportunity, he was a couple of years into his career, he made it work for what he needed to do on that night. Yeah. And he's been able to do that for years now. I think back to the uh, TNA British Boot Camp series. Mm. And you look at Marty on that series. And Marty kind of hasn't got a clue at that point. He's kind of still trying to work it out. Spud had it all worked out. Spud knew how to get over. But he knew creating that angle with Marty on the show was going to help him. But long term, it was going to help Marty as well. And I look back at that. I think Marty clearly learned so much from Spud on that show. You look at the level of star Marty is now as well. That's Spud for all his limitations in terms of size and in terms of his kind of upside long-term, has understood exactly what those limitations are and has understood how to work work exactly around those limitations and what parts of his personality to actually enhance as a result of his limits in terms of a push and in terms of his in-ring ability. And I think absolutely fair play to the guy. He deserves better. It's an absolute joke what they've kind of done to him and how they've left him. And you know what? The fact that text messages were the way that these employees were sacked like yeah. that's the bit that i think we haven't spoken about that is kind of tragic like i don't know if mike kyoda struck a deal because i did see something as well about how some of the guys struck deals um to get a big lump sum payoff one 31 years i hope he's got a bloody good pension <laughs> i don't know anything about wwe pension schemes but also if he wasn't alerted to this and he just got a text saying cheers for 31 years, Mike, see you later. Fuck me. <laughs> like, yeah. I know I'm thinking worst case here, but a text message to sack you, it, it just ethically, it feels so wrong. Doesn't it? Yeah. Coming off the back of like a, what was apparently like a three minute meeting, quote unquote, meeting the Vince McMahon at the staff where it was basically just a video of Vince talking for three minutes. And that was how they all, they all found out this news was coming and were told to keep an eye on the phones. I, I, you'd hope someone like you know, got a phone call. Like you'd hope, you know, have to put in that service in that long. And yeah, hopefully you got a big payoff and hopefully, you know, I, one thing I would say is, you know, there are, there are names like Spore that I really feel sorry for. There are names like, you know, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, who just signed new contracts that were apparently massive new contracts, but you know, there's people like like them or like a Mike Canellos or like a Rusev. There are a fair amount of these names who are people who it kind of felt like they were they were trying to get out anyway, you know, over the and you know, Mike Canellos was out and out saying that he wanted out a few months ago. 
but I don't think any of them really, you know, were, were planning on wanting to get out during a pandemic. I suppose that's the uh, the counter that. I just hope, yeah, those lads and the likes of Kyo that kind of got their big payment uh, out of WWE, at least on the on the way out the door. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the other point I was going to make as well, like on the, the on the night of all this horrific news kind of breaking and the week of this horrific news breaking, typically, and of course, WWE would choose that night of all nights, Jamesy. To debut your man Tim Thatcher, I was going to ask if you've seen it, but I'm guessing you haven't seen it. <laughs> it's probably not the time to want to watch something like that, but like, what a yeah, what a time to bring you know uh, during all this terrible news to for yeah for for Tim Thatcher of all people is the the cherry on top for us as like European wrestling fans to make his debut in WWE on NXT last night. Like, I, I really really couldn't believe it when I saw that. It's 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 kind of like the final nail in the coffin almost because like I honestly couldn't care less mm. that he debuted. You know what I mean? Like, and there was a time when our favorite indie guys got signed by WWE, and we couldn't wait for them to make their debut. You know what I mean? We couldn't wait to see. You know, around this time, like we're going to talk about a show from 2006. And I think I remember, I think, chatting to people outside, waiting in the queue. And chat, I think CM Punk had already signed at that point. Mm. And we were so excited to see what CM Punk and WWE would look like. You know what I mean? You know, you know, there was an excitement about it. We were going to watch to see him. And I couldn't care less. My favorite wrestler of the last four or five years. I couldn't care less. He was on TV last night. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'll ever even bother watching the match. You know what I mean? A throwaway tag match with Matt Riddle. I just... You know, it, it's just I'm very, very down and very, very depressed about 2020 wrestling at the moment. I'm actually glad I said it on Twitter during the week. I'm glad there's no current wrestling to watch at the moment. Mm. I'm glad there's a break from it. And I, I'm really, really enjoying just having the time to sit back and watch this ROH show we're going to talk about or watch some old Nitros, watch some old All Japan. I'm, I'm watching the, the, the Tanahashi Okada feud from start to finish again and kind of, you know, reminding myself of all the nuances of that feud and that kind of thing. And I don't want to watch current wrestling at the moment. There has been so much damage done to it. Like, I hear your disillusionment all the time, Joe, about the British wrestling scene and about what this company has done to it. Like, And I share a lot of those feelings, you know what I mean? And like, when I saw GIFs of Tim Thatcher wrestling in NXT this morning when I woke up, I just shrugged my shoulders. I didn't care. I wasn't angry. I wasn't upset. I wasn't happy. I wasn't anything. I was just indifferent. And that's what they've done. They've made me indifferent more than anything else. I think that's what they're aiming to do, mate. Us is the hard. Yeah. Why do they yeah. want us watching their products? You know, yeah. I think they just want people who are as brainwashed as Seth Rollins to be watching this product at this point in time, don't they? And there's fucking less and less of them as well. Do you see those raw ratings? Less than two million for every yeah. hour this week to watch that uh, that appointment viewing of three hours of raw with no crowd. Um, I, I haven't seen the NXT uh, viewership from last night yet, but I bet you that's I bet, I bet you Thatcher's debut didn't do particularly well either. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of people feeling like that, James. And yeah, it's become like 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 you've said on Grapple Joe, it is it's the period, isn't it? For just there's only so much of this. I think WrestleMania was the end of it. There's only so much of this empty arena stuff you can watch, especially yeah. with just the the feeling of just dirt from this week and all the news stories that have been breaking like this is the time to be going back and watching the retro stuff 
Ah, uh, mate, it's it's hard though for some people. Like you know, Trump is finding it really hard watching baseball games from fourteen years ago. <laughs> I know that uh, Ron DeSantis is finding it hard watching a Tampa game from twenty years ago, even though he thinks they might have a chance in twenty twenty one. Now that they've signed Tom Brady, we need some current content. Like no one at the, this moment in time has a desire for current content. No one that I know, anyway. We've all just kind of accepted the situation, what it is. Yeah, it's a bit shit, but if we sit around going, oh, I want current content now, like, we're kind of, I don't know, like, give it, like in a way, like, sort of giving our own kind of certifications of putting people's lives in danger and yep. at risk and spreading this virus and having it go on for longer, it just doesn't make any sense to me, and... Even AEW, I wish they would just cancel Double or Nothing oh, and God just say, it. right, when when it's all when it's all done, we'll come back with Double or Nothing, or we'll come back at all all in or whatever. Like it, it's such a they've got an open goal, an easy job. win. They yeah, it's got... such an easy win exactly. for yeah. AEW. Yeah, and I, I've like it's last. I listened to um, Dean Ambrose, sorry, John Moxley on a uh, Wrestling Observer Live last night. It was. He was great. He's a great interview. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to watch this swagger match now. But at the same time, I, I really don't want to watch it. Like, I don't want to watch it. Like, he got me interested in it. But I've just got no interest in watching empty arena wrestling at the moment. I just kind of want to take a break from wrestling until crowds come back. And, you know, when I think about crowds coming back, I think New Japan are probably the first promotion where crowds will come back. And it would be great to come back to wrestling with a great company who care about people, who care about wrestlers. And you know what? Harold Mage seems to have done a cracking job during this as a Tanahashi, as a locker room leader. Mm. I'll say that as well. Mm. And that's when I think I'll come back to wrestling when New Japan get running again. Because, yeah, it's just a sad state of affairs at the moment. And I'm enjoying watching this retro stuff. It's, It's been good fun. We never get a good chance to look back because there there has been so much current content for about the past four or five years now. And I will continue watching some old stuff while I've got the chance to do it. Yeah. Well, should we on that note, should we cheer ourselves up, Jamesy? Shall we? Uh, <laughs> Go for it. Should we take Go the way us. back machine? Have we got it all out of our system with WWE? There's nothing else, is there, that you want to mention? I think James, so. Though? Yeah, uh, we've so. got more to come on grapple. So you know, <laughs> yeah, you keep, keep, of... keep a few bullets in the holster for grapple. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, they're they're in there, Jamesy. Don't worry, the anger <laughs> will come out on there. Uh, I think JP will find a way of bringing out of me. Don't worry, <laughs> and me, me get out of him. Yeah, you, you definitely know how to bind each other up. That's what I love. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely. Be more to come for, uh, from that point and obviously the, within the next I think we're, we're planning aren't we Joe and recording that Saturday so it should be out for Sunday morning and fuck knows the world might be a completely different place again by Sunday morning so yeah well, well people uh, can't go to churches at the moment so what better <laughs> to do on a Sunday morning than enjoy a fry up Potentially, I know you'll be having a fry up and a blam, won't you, Jamesy, on a Sunday Absolutely. morning? Absolutely, I'm surprised yeah. to hear you bringing fry ups up, though, um, Joe. That's not your usual. That's not your usual breakfast, is it? Not mine, but I know the listeners probably enjoy a fry up. See, so, you know, I'm happy to endorse a fry up for their benefit and for your benefit. So, Sunday morning, no church. You know, tune into a bit of grapple instead. Much better sermon with me, Benno, and JP. <laughs> On the subject, and I've got to mention it, Andy Ogden, frequent guest on this show, put a put a photo up on Twitter today of a, a roast dinner flavoured beer. You going for that, Joe? Is that is that a? Uh, mate, you you sent me the picture earlier with our <laughs> Bessie on as well. Like, yeah. Our Bessie's endorsed this beer. Like it looks like to me, like it would be like a roast dinner smoothie. <laughs> and you know, I, I can't think of anything worse than that. Uh, 
you know, maybe if um, someone, you know, pours me a tipple at some point, I'd be willing to give it a try. But I'm not buying a full can of that stuff. No way. <laughs> uh, well, worth a try. Uh, if anyone wants to send us one, though, yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll get you to drink it live on air. And when we're back in, you know, in real life, and you and JP can sit on that that couch all snug together in uh, in JP's flat, Joe. Maybe at that point we could do a tasting session with it. How about that? What you reckon? Nice celebration. A great way to return to normal. Go. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Food for thought, um, literally. But yeah, let's uh, let's go back. Let's to be, let's 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 do what we planned to come here today uh, to do. Uh, we've exercised our demons a bit, and yeah, we've. It's funny because like this is a podcast like I've wanted to do for so long, especially with you two, especially since you yeah. know obviously James, you joined us on PWE, and you know you know Joe, the years we've been doing grapple and indie corner, like. The show we're going to talk about today is like, it is such, for me, you talk about going back and watching stuff. And, you know, we're going to talk about the show. Maybe parts of it don't quite hold up. And some parts of it really do hold up. But if you talk about, like, if I had to plot, like, the points in my wrestling fandom of, like, important shows and important days and important periods in my life, like, like, maybe it's dramatic to say, but genuinely, like, life-defining, like, parts of my life, like, it's all circled around this show like you talk about it coming full circle like the reason i know both of you is this show mm-hmm. like that that's the reason we're sad like if you'd have said to me in 2006 oh ben are you going to be doing a, a wrestling podcast in 14 years i might say what's a podcast but i'd also probably say <laughs> i'd probably also say yeah probably yeah sounds like me but i probably wouldn't have guessed that it'd be you know it'd be three of us sat around doing this podcast like what a crazy, you know, what a crazy kind of world that's brought the three of us kind of back together through wrestling to come and do this podcast as well. It is just, it's full. This is full circle for me. This is such, again, such August two thousand six is the is when this show was unified. We talked international showdown as far as like important super shows in Brit Res, and this is not a Brit Res company, but as far as British wrestling goes, and as far as not just you two, the amount of other people I know who were live at this show, the fact that it was in Liverpool for me is a big thing that I'll go to in a minute. Like, this was just, it was the peak of my ROH fandom. I imagine it was for you two as well. This was just, yeah, unbelievable. Maybe the, the the show the day after wasn't wasn't quite as uh, memorable, although we've got some stories from that too. But this is just, yeah, a, an absolutely huge part of my life. And I'm, yeah, I'm guessing guessing you two share those, uh, those same feelings on this one. Oh, yeah, this was my first ever wrestling show. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for me, this is this was pretty monumental. You know, I'd wanted to go to a wrestling show forever, but had no friends who liked wrestling. So I was kind of left on my own. Uh, new stuff was going on. Knew all the stuff in Coventry had gone on. I knew that there were shows that were running Portsmouth, but... Didn't really have an interest in going to those. Always thought WWE shows over here looked a bit shite, so I never had an interest. And then I discovered Ring of Honor in, what, 2004, I want to say. I started following Ring of Honor. Uh, Gave a bit of money in 2005, so I really went full throttle on buying the DVDs. And then about a year later, this was announced at kind of the height and the peak of my ring of honor fandom i remember it being announced sort of in sort of march february time maybe and i remember just get being super excited and being like right i'm going i've got no one to go with but i'll find a way there and i'll find a place to stay and i like liverpool anyway i've been a couple of times before but yeah i'm gonna be there and yeah it kind of blew me away as an experience i gotta say and yeah to some extent maybe it was a life-changing moment i don't know 
it's quite deep, you know. <laughs> That's just because I met it you, is. mate. That's all it is. But... <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah, this podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't yeah. for Unified. Well, this one might, but Grapple Spotlight wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, for Unified, would it? Oh, not a chance. Like, well, I think me and you met, we met the night before, didn't we? Because you travelled down to Liverpool yeah. with our friend Chris from Malta. Uh, the, the big embassy fan, <laughs> and you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'd, I, I was kind of. I think I spoke to Chris more than I did you when it comes to like again the ROH message board is going to be a big part of this story. It's going to be a big part of your story, <laughs> imagine as well, Jamesy. But like, <laughs> I know we communicated through that, or maybe it was just me and Chris communicating. And then I kind of came, came and met you. We had a, we had. A, I remember us having a pint in the Weatherspoons in town, which kind of is shocking for me and you these days, Joe. Like tw- twenty, <laughs> in twenty twenty, uh, I think you'd struggle to get the two of us to go away the spoons by choice but i do remember no, we didn't that. know about tim martin but at that point did we? <laughs> there you go, yeah. we didn't know yeah we, we, we were all very naive uh, i remember you coming back to my where i'm doing this podcast from right now uh, and i was watching some wrestling channel in my house for some reason and then we sending you and uh, you and malta chris uh, back into to liverpool city center and that was literally yeah, the night before unified the night we actually meant i'm sure you've got great memories of that night though joe Oh, fantastic, Ben. I remember meeting you uh, in town. Weren't you, like, giving out flyers for the Rig of Honor show the next day or something when we met you, if I remember rightly? Yeah, I've been, I've been given the task both on this tour and more on, like, the, the, the 2007 shows. But, yeah, I've been, I think I was, I was allegedly part of the quote-unquote street team for this show, which basically meant Alex Shane posted me a load of flyers, and I really... I basically had like two boxes worth of flyers that they just turned up at my house. One of the boxes is probably still in the in the attic in this house somewhere. It's so it's somewhere around uh, in the loft. Uh, I had no idea what to do with the flyers. I think I handed some out to Goodson Park, <laughs> and I think I tried to hand out some in <laughs> some in town. Uh, it didn't really occur to me to eat, like go door to door or whatever. But yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, I think I probably you probably when you met me, I probably did have a few flyers in hand that I was trying to get rid of as well. Do, doing my duty as a, as a hardcore ROH fan, trying to uh, you know get what more people I think in. I've still. I think I've still got some. Like I might have to dig them. I might have to have a look later. I've got a, um, a lot of stuff still at my parents' house, but I've got this little box that I've got some stuff in. I'm sure I've got a couple in there, so I'll try and dig them out. And if I can, I'll send you a picture over. Have you still got any yourself? I've got I've got a couple that lying around. Yeah, I've got one actually right here on my podcast desk. I'll throw it on oh, Twitter. Okay. I'll throw I'll throw a picture <laughs> up there. It's uh, what is on it? Samoa Joe. Jimmy Rave on it, Nigel McGuinness on it, just some nice uh, pictures. I'll I'll put that on uh, on Twitter. But yeah, I've got I've still again I've probably got a box somewhere that yeah more not so much this show because this show is quite well attended. But the second tour OH did the same thing happened. They dropped two boxes worth of flyers at my house, and again didn't know what to do with them. And that show didn't draw draw particularly well. But don't blame me; it's not all my fault. Uh, <laughs> but it's your fault. Blame Alex Shane. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't in charge of the posting or everyone. I was just in charge of the leafleting. Well, the show drew the second set of shows drew a lot better than the uh, FIP shows that we watched when we were back to your house, Benno. Well, you I remember, yeah. I'd never <laughs> seen FIP, uh, and we were talking about FIP and the Weatherspoons. I remember, I remember you being like, "Yeah, I got a couple of DVDs." And I remember watching a Brian Danielson against CM Punk match, if I remember rightly, in FIP, and maybe I remember Spanky being in a match as well. And I remember just being like. <laughs> No one's in the crowd. Like, it really was, like, the original empty arena wrestling, Amazing. if anything. Like, it's probably why Daniel Bryan is so good at doing this empty arena stuff. Because <laughs> he kind of honed his skills in FIP in 2005. IW Mid-South as well, you know, because he's got that yeah, experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I can't believe I dragged you to my house and made you watch FIP of all things. I me. had a great night. You gave us a beer as well. I think it was a Carlsberg, if I remember rightly. Were you at that point, Joe? Just double-checking. 
was nineteen, mate. Don't we're all right. Worry. We're, all, we're okay. We're okay. Um, I did but... look young. I will say that. But... Oh, I saw so... you're on the DVD, mate. It's quite a, it's quite the sight seeing it. <laughs> seeing young Joe in the crowd, but yeah, I mean, James, were you in? Were you two in the same hostel? Is that the story? Because I think did you two met meet over this weekend as well? I'm not sure if we, because I, obviously I had to fly over and I needed somewhere to stay because uh, like you said, Joe, I had no friends at this point in my life. Like this is 2006. I'm a couple of years out of college. Um, I had become a so-called online fan as a student because I had in, basically I spent my evenings in the library reading about wrestling when I should have been studying. Um, and yeah, like I, I, and I, I remember getting into Ring of Honor through Aaron Furious reviews. I remember it was the first way I got into them. And I remember the, the first Ring of Honor shows that I got were actually knockoff tapes from a guy in Scotland. It was a website called scimania.co.uk. Oh, I know that one. And he was, the Real Memphis Forum. That? The Real Memphis Forum was hosted by Yeah. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, um, he, he was doing knockoffs basically of the ROH shows. And I remember buying my first order from him was. I remember telling this story to WH Park on his podcast. I got the 94 J Cup from him. I got the a Misawa best of best of Misawa five star bouts tape, and then the first two ROH shows on on tape, and that was it for me. Then just straight into it. Had never really seen indie wrestling to, to any extent really i'd seen japanese wrestling at wwe and tna would have been on the go at the time but never really seen independent wrestling before and just falling in love with the whole thing and like once once i qualified from college and got my own credit card buying all the dvds and that kind of thing online heard about this show i was fully like i was on the message board at that point fully engrossed in the whole company absolutely had to go i remember taking a day off i, I rang in sick to work <laughs> On, on the day that the tickets came out because I wanted to be front row so badly I've just I, I knew like they'd come of they'd come online I think it was maybe around lunchtime they came online and I had to be front row so I did a sickie from work to get the tickets um and yeah flew over I had no friends who liked wrestling over here at all like there was no there was Irish whip wrestling and there was a few people I vaguely knew through that but like nobody who was going to fly to England with me to watch this wrestling show so flew on my own and I stayed in I think it was called the international hostel in the city center yeah. That's International, International in, in Two, I think it's called, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I was trying to find it in my old emails. I was looking back and I couldn't find it. Um, and I did you stay there, Joe? Because so, I, I go on, mate. Go, I, I I definitely remember meeting you the following year at the ROH shows because I think we ended up in the same room in the hostel. And I remember having a chat with you and a few other guys. You know, there was like a kitchen, a communal kitchen. Yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember us all sitting down there talking about wrestling into the small hours maybe on, on the night before or the night of the first show i can't remember which and i remember being in the is it the playhouse was that the big nightclub the crazy house the, oh, crazy, the, crazy, house. House. the crazy house i remember being there and you were in there and i vividly remember you being in there in your army jackets on the <laughs> dance floor <laughs> oh, great night yeah <laughs> But I can't remember, did I meet you the year of this show? I vividly remember you from the second year, but I don't know if, if, if we talked the first year at all or if we had much contact at all. Because yeah. I was there on my own and I, I happened to bump into with two lads. I remember that the people I kind of hung around with were, um, I was just, I got off my flight and my flight was 6am that morning. I flew into Liverpool, got into the city centre and it was like 8am and it was kind of, 
what do I do with myself now? Like, you know what I mean? So I was kind of just knocking around town and looking in shops and that kind of thing. And it was a really sunny day. And I remember sitting on the steps of this, you probably know it, Ben, or this shopping center in the middle of um, Liverpool city center. And I was in my Nigel McGuinness t-shirt <laughs> and, um, these two young lads just came up to me and said, oh, you're going to the ROH show, are you? Um, and they were kind of local guys, um, a guy called Drew and another friend of his whose name I can't remember. Um, and Drew would have been, I would have known his name then from posting on the board and we kind of stayed in touch. And I basically spent the day with them. And I remember I, I would have met you because of the, which we'll talk about later, the bus trip during <laughs> the first day. And we, I kind of got to know people on that bus trip then kind of the second day. Yeah. But like I was kind of keeping to myself the first day because I literally didn't know anyone, you know. Drew187, that's a famous name. Got to give him his uh, full title. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, we reconnected with him on Twitter there lately as well, which is crazy, yeah. See, all gangs back together. (laughs) What are you going to say, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it was the second trip that we met Jamesy because I yeah. I can remember the uh, the hostel really well. I think I must have. We must have stayed in the same hostel because did you stay the hostel you're talking about? Is that the one that you stayed in the first time? As sorry, the second time as well. Yes, I did. I did because it was, yeah, it was we must have just cheap. been in different rooms that time because I remember meeting you. I don't know if I met you at the show and then we found out we were we were at the same hostel or what. But I remember it was me yourself, Joe Mills. Um, Grapple, Grapple's resident graphic designer. Um, <laughs> what am I? <laughs> um, and a couple of other Irish lads. That fellow with the dreadlocks is in the front row. Ah, you yes, Sean Reed. Mate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know him? I, I, I still see him. at. I, he, he doesn't go to OTT much anymore, but in the first three or four years of OTT, he was there a lot. And I would have known him from an Irish wrestling forum over here as well. We would have connected quite a bit. Like, yeah, so, yeah. And they were on the bus as well. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't have dreadlocks anymore. He's a very sensible haircut now, but yeah. He's a very <laughs> striking appearance with the dreadlocks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember, I remember being in the crazy house of him as well and him doing some mad headbanging to, uh, pretty sure it was Metallica, if I remember rightly. Like, I think it was Wherever I May Roam by Metallica. He was doing some, like, proper headbanging, like, proper throwing them dreads around. I was well impressed. But yeah, I remember us uh, sort of till about four in the morning being up, just just talking wrestling, basically, yeah. and sort of getting to know each other. And you could tell that the four or five of us were quite enjoying it because we never really got that opportunity in our sort of regular friendship yeah. circles. Yeah. It was so and nice it, to actually talk to real people about mm, wrestling. Like it really was. Yeah. 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 And it was uh, sort of fandom was sort of coming from the same sort of um, perspective as well to some degree. So yeah, I remember it being a great weekend, but now it definitely was the second one that we, mm, we yeah. met and then would have met again in uh, carrot in what? 2018. So yeah. 11 years later, we remembered one another, which is quite <laughs> cool. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you, like, sending me a DM on Twitter, James, you and we first started following each other a few years ago, and you were like, are you the Benno who did that bus trip? And I was like, <laughs> this is the tall Irish guy with the glasses who came the crazy house, isn't it? <laughs> and we worked it out, yeah. We, we reconnected oh, all those years later. But, yeah, uh, it that's it. Like, for, for me, like, you say, you say about, like, you know, not having, you know, wrestling fan friends. I've got a... To be honest, now I've got a million wrestling fan friends in real life, people I work with, you know, but my other friends, you know, offline that are big, big wrestling fans too. But like, I was probably going into this period somewhat a similar way. Like, for me, like, never mind like 
trying to make wrestling fans to see wrestling. Like I was big into my. This is like I think at this point in time I'd gone to maybe four or five different ROH shows in America. Like I'd gotten to the point where like because Brit Res was on its fucking ass. If people try and tell you different, it wasn't. Brit, Brit Res was terrible at this point in time. It was not. It was not what it would you know eventually become, which was you know decent, <laughs> and then whatever it's become now. But like I was to get my wrestling fix, I. I, I'd like from I think from the one wrestling forums I had friends in America who went to the ROH shows as well as ROH message board people um, and I'd meet up with them and go to shows in the US so for me like the the one you know from a having you know local fans people to talk to thing but two the biggest thing for me is the fact that this show happened in England and not only happened in England happened in a place that I can literally walk from the, the place I'm sat podcasting now and where I live back then, I could get there in about 20 minutes. Like, that that was the biggest mind-blowing thing for me. Like, and you said at the top there, Joe, about, you know, when was when was this show announced? I can tell you when it was announced because I, I this year, in 2006, was the one and only WrestleMania trip that I've done. Uh, WrestleMania 22 with uh, the uh, the Cena uh, Triple H main event and the uh, the super the ROH Supercard of Honor weekend that weekend was the you know the big triple header with the uh, the oh, Dragon Gate yeah. yeah, Six yeah. Man and uh, Danielson versus Landstorm and the Homicide uh, Colt Cabana uh, Street Fight with the Flying BJ chairs. with the Jimmy Jacobs Cage Badge mate <laughs> that's it that too that's that's, that's oh, a big yeah. one too uh, Pollock and John Pollock and Waiting were in the the crowd that night as well we were all in the uh, the same building that night sadly uh, didn't know the lads at that point. Uh, but like yeah, I, I I traveled out for that mania weekend and I distinctly remember like because at that point I was you know like you guys I'm sure were as well you know the ROH super fan I had my ROH jacket that everyone was seeing in there in the photos my ROH Japan jacket I'm pretty sure I brought that uh, on that trip and then did gift it to her uh, to Chris from Malta so I dress head to toe in ROH merch I'd be buying the DVDs every month uh, I'd be buying loads of merch on the websites and it really must have looked like they had like the amount of money they had coming in from like the Liverpool area or England must have looked particularly <laughs> impressive to their books. Because I distinctly remember like having a conversation with Kerry Silken, who you know at that point because I'd been over so many times, and as I mentioned on the international showdown uh, thing, I'd run that raffle and gone out to to Joe Kabashi, so I'd met him a little bit there as well. Like he was like, oh, so uh, so Benno is there like a is there, is there like a big wrestling kind of scene uh, over in England? And I was like, ah. Uh, not really, to be honest. There's not, not a huge amount going on. <laughs> and he's like, oh, right, but you're from Liverpool, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, there must be lots of wrestling fans in Liverpool, right? And I was like, no, nah, to be honest, I don't know any wrestling fans. Uh, it's pretty much <laughs> it's pretty much just me at this point. Most of my mates have grown out of it. I've got, like, you know, my mate Paul from Manchester who went on a lot of these trips for me. I know a couple of people from Manchester, but I don't really know anyone from Liverpool. And I remember him looking at me really, really disappointed. And I never, I did, I, I just, I was like, oh, that was a weird conversation with Kerry. Why is he asking me so much about Liverpool? And I reckon I've been home about a week from that WrestleMania trip when the news got announced. Ring of Honor are coming to England and they're coming to fucking Liverpool of all places. So I wonder like how much of a like an influence this weirdo Scouse fan from Liverpool travelling over to all these ROH shows and buying all this merch and buying all these DVDs. I wonder if it maybe maybe when the idea came up of, of tour in the UK and doing a couple of shows when Alex Shane or whoever suggested Liverpool, they were probably like, oh yeah, we, we've got some fans at Liverpool. That's probably a good idea. I wonder how much of the, that is probably my fucking fault. 
I wonder if some of the lads who you're now friends with, Beto, and have met via wrestling mm. were also, you know, buying the DVDs at the same time and stuff. Mm. Maybe not getting the uh, Ring of Honor tracksuits in like you were. <laughs> 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 oh, maybe Whether, you know, this secret society of Ring of Honor fans finally met and came together years later when, I don't know, like sort of social boundaries uh, and ways of getting in contact with one another became so much easier possibly it's, it's a bizarre one isn't it that they did yeah. choose liverpool i always thought mm. why liverpool why like was the venue higher much cheaper than it was in london like who was behind a, a liverpool show for that first one it yeah it's always stood out to me as an odd decision but a great decision because liverpool's a great city and yeah i wouldn't have got to have seen you know benno's hotspots if it wasn't for this show <laughs> there you go I think it's I think it's important to stress to people as well. Like younger fans mightn't be aware of the phenomenon of the ROH bot, and like we're 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 talking about being you being decked head to toe in the merch and all that kind of thing. And like if people think that the progress fans <laughs> in the last few years were bad and loyal to the company and will defend everything they do to the hilt and will talk down other promotions and talk down certain wrestlers because they're they're not good enough to to to, to grace the hallowed halls of ROH and that kind of thing. Like ROH fans in this era and like I, I count myself totally amongst them were on a different level. Like I mean we we were I, like back then I revered this promotion. Like like I would watch shows and I was fully convinced that everything on them was amazing, top to bottom. You know what I mean? I I, I don't know. Did the, the maybe the critical part of my brain that's been engaged about wrestling in the last few years and talking about it hadn't really been engaged yet to the extent that it is now. Like, and I just revered this promotion and thought everything it did was amazing. Like, you know what I mean? And that's the mm. kind of backdrop. That's you can imagine how we felt then when this promotion was actually going to come close enough for us to get to a show. Like, you know what I mean? It was just, the, I just remembered the excitement when I heard they were going to run in England and how easy it was for me to get to, to Liverpool. You know, it was just something else. Yeah. Was Ryanair in business at that point? Cause that's a quick flight. I, I I would imagine it was either I know Aer Lingus go as well, don't they, to Liverpool? Oh yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, maybe that yeah. was the case. Yeah. I can't oh actually do you know what? I think it was Ryanair because I remember having stuff taken off me because I didn't check it in or something like that. <laughs> bastards about it. Stuff from you know the stuff you bring in your toilet bag and that kind of thing. Um so maybe maybe it was Ryanair, but I just remember it was a really early flight and I remember I, I was stupid enough that I went out the night before. I went out the Friday night and only got in I only got in about one AM and then my alarm clock was going off about half four. So like I was already kind of ropey going over there as well. And, and that Jesus, I remember being so tired by the end of that show. And after we went and we talked about the after party as well, like by the time I got to bed that night, I'd been up for nearly 24 hours and I would never been so tired in all my life. I was just shattered. Mm, to God, I can imagine. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> that, imagine that now, nowadays you'd be getting like an early night the night before, and you'd be taking it easy, and you'd be. Uh, oh yeah, be, oh yeah, <laughs> times, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, oh, finding a nice hotel. I, I've no idea why I was staying in this hostel. Like, you know what I mean? I wasn't so badly off. Like, I probably could have afforded a decent <laughs> hotel if I wanted to, and I just plumbed for this in a room with eight strangers as well. Like, and people snoring and farting and all. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and then I, I went back. I went back the next year and did it again. Crazy. Uh, you must have had great fun that year, Jamesy. But I, I think back, I would just slum it constantly. Like, for years, I stayed in hostels all around the world, like, because they were just so cheap. And also, it was just... And it's, you know what? The Liverpool hostel? I'm trying to think. Was it the... No, I'd stayed in hostels on school trips before i said one in berlin for a week when i was 17 but i was thought as a young person you get to meet people and you know yeah. we've met each other we 
we still know one another now, you know, and True, I always yeah. think there are still other people that I've met in hostels in the US, in Europe, that I am still in contact with, weirdly. So, it's, you know, it's a great way to connect with people as well. Mm. When you're a younger person, you're in the same sort of position as, as someone else from a different culture, from a different background. It sort of opens you up to the world as well, I find, a hostel. Whereas, you know, a boring hotel, you know, you've got a comfortable night's sleep. But at the same time, Jamesy, what experience are you getting yeah. out of that as a young Man, that's you know. true you're not going to be Joe that way if you're, if it's you're a just... different mentality when you're young isn't it yeah, you, yeah. it's nearly the worst the place is the more you want to stay there isn't it oh, me and my mate still do it now if we go on a lads holiday to Eastern Europe we'll still do that we'll still stay in a hostel and we're all getting towards 40 now and we'll fucking hate it but we find it hilarious so we'll keep doing it and doing it to ourselves but now there is something to be said for the uh, for the proper European hostel for like the social elements of it but yeah I feel bad now lads I should have should have offered you both to, uh, to stay over here in, uh, in Benno Towers it's a shame we didn't Ah, uh, Benno, we didn't know. We didn't know one another. Well real shame. Point. Real shame. It would have been weird, probably, if I said. I didn't have a couple of <laughs> from the board staying. I think Lone Wolf and uh, John McHero. If you watch the uh, the DVD, the guy in the queue who's got like the ROH tattoo on his arm uh, and the script. Like, I haven't spoken to that dude in like. 10 years I think he maybe turned up on Twitter for a few minutes a couple of years ago but I didn't really speak to him properly like yeah he's on the he's on the ROH he's on the DVD outside of I think maybe again is it the second lot of shows or, the, or, the, or maybe it is this first show this first Liverpool show I don't remember seeing it on rewatch here maybe it's a DVD extra but he's, he's he got literally the ROH classic logo tattooed on his arm like I'm sure that was a great decision in 2006 2007 <laughs> in 2020 I wonder whether he's had that thing removed uh, but yeah yeah. <laughs> didn't yeah. age well did it yeah it didn't at all so yeah i had no problem with lads for the message for staying in my house they stayed over and yeah we uh we all made our our trip to the show but again yeah and if it's not coming across at all our voices like this was again the peak of i think it's the peak of all of our roh roh fandom i think quite soon after this i think i was kind of more on the downswing i think cm punk was kind of my guy in roh and i was uh maybe not quite this, the same roh level fan going into 2007 and 2008 and part of it as well as i remember around this time that this was when i'd started to train to wrestle as well so i kind of got that, uh, that oh i'm a, i'm gonna learn wrestling the proper way not this work ratey roh way and that those kind of uh <laughs> silly ideas oh, kind damn. of creeped into my brain <laughs> oh you get brainwashed when you get into wrestling joe it's a whole thing but at this period at this moment during the show like i couldn't have been yeah, a, a more hardcore fan and a more hardcore message board fan like you guys but again shocking for me that it took place in liverpool like the, the venue itself you both mentioned it there like it's for me it's never quite seemed the same like i've, I've been back to the olympia for roh for you know that roh show they ran there a couple of years ago for the king of europe cup for there was a one pw show there tna ran there it's never seen, seen quite the same as here. Like, uh, I don't think it's ever been as busy as it is for this show. And for, for some reason, I think any time I've ever gone back, it's just not seen quite as big. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, that very first time we were all in there together watching Unified and with that rabid audience, you know, it, it does feel, you know, bigger in the memory and it was so packed that it, it kind of feels like an even bigger venue than it is. But, you know, it's one of those venues that, yeah, it's, it's seen better days, but I thought it looked, it looks great on DVD here. And it, again, it's a, as, as far as ROH run in England, it probably was on face value on odd 
kind of decision for them to run Liverpool. But I tell you what, as far as venues look, at least on tape, you know, in person, it's still a little bit grotty and it's in the middle of a really dodgy area with you know drug deals happening around the back and all kinds. But as far as like the inside of the venue, like this could not have suited ROH anymore. I think it looked like when they got the camera right, because that's a problem with the hard cam placement a little bit on the DVD. But when they get the camera right, it, it looks like you're in the Manhattan Center. It looks like you're in a prestige New York venue. Like it's maybe I think that's probably part of it. It's very very ROH to this venue. Yeah, it is. And I remember walking in being well impressed by it. It wasn't what I imagined it was going to be at all. Mm. I remember seeing the balconies and thinking, actually, this has got some personality. This has got something. It's weird because watching it back, I didn't actually think they did a great job at utilizing the venue on the DVD and making it look no as one ever has, you know. Even now, like yeah. when they ran there a couple of years ago, same thing. Like the obvious thing would be, wouldn't it, put the hard cam above the entrance if you can find some way of doing it? Absolutely. And shoot mm. those big yeah. balconies. No one yeah. ever does it. I think even when MMA runs there, they struggle as well. It must be something to do with the setup of the venue. Because yeah, uh, you're right. They kind of they shoot the camera, don't they? At, like that dead zone where it's like the ring and three sides and then an entrance. It's not the best. Yeah, just it looks a bit dull from that position. You just think there's so much more that that venue's got inside that they could they could shoot uh, much more effectively. I think the 2007 shows. Um, I remember them doing a slightly better job, and I remember there was a BJ Whitmer Jimmy Jacobs match, which is kind of all around the arena, and you really get a feel for what the arena looks like and the layout of it during that one, if anything. But yeah, it is a really cool venue, and the atmosphere. And watching this back, the atmosphere was amazing throughout the night. Like there was not a dead spot on the night, and I think that sort of speaks to the enthusiasm that so many of us, so many of us, had for independent wrestling, independent American wrestling at this point in time. Yeah, you know, the Wrestling Channel was still on. Uh, we were seeing these guys regularly. Uh, it was kind of a dream come true for them to come over here, and I think that's reflected in just the enthusiasm of the crowd. You know, I'm in the front row for the second half of the show, and I can see myself chanting at points. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I never. I think being 19, I had a lot less going on, had a lot more energy than I've got now. I think that's possibly part of it. But my God, like looking back, I was well into this. <laughs> yeah, like I had, there's a couple of moments where I, I'm in the, you're like in the front row, like on the like the the side kind of to the left of the entrance, and then I'm on the front row on the side facing the entrance. And there's a couple of times where you can see me, and I'm kind of cringing at myself, spe- specifically in the main event where we've probably both got some uh, <laughs> some cringy moments. Where were you, Jamesy? Where were you uh, at for this one? As as you look at the entrance, mm. um, I'm to the left. And I'm right down in the very corner. Mm. Um, so I'm, I don't know if you remember this first match, you know, the turnbuckle that Matt Seidel does his shooting star press off. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, because I, I always remember I was literally looking up almost underneath him as he hits that shooting star press. And I just remember being blown away by how graceful it was and how well he did it. So that's exactly where I was. I, I did spot myself a few times on DVD, all right. But thankfully, because I wasn't with anyone, I think I was quite reserved at this show. I'm kind of just standing there with arms folded, a, bit, a little bit self-conscious maybe as well, you know, that kind of a way. Mm. But um, I feel like there was, like you said, Joe, that there's an innocence to the crowd. Like, yeah. 
everyone's, oh, a, yeah. everyone's a superstar. Colt Cabana feels like the biggest star in the world. You know, Colt Cabana, like, you know, very much a mid-carder in ROH for, for most of the time around this time, feels like the biggest star in the world. And what, what struck me looking at it, and it was the same with the show we, we reviewed last time, Benno, mm. it's that there's nobody there trying to get themselves over. There's no silly chanting, really. It's, you know, there's, there's not even the, the, the habit of singing songs at wrestling hasn't come up yet. You know what I mean? Mm. It's very much a genuine reaction to everything. You know what I mean? And it, like to be a wrestler on this show, it must have been the easiest thing in the world. Like because oh. no matter no matter what they did, people went crazy for it. Oh, Cabana won the lottery coming out first. Like that was like yeah. he, he knew what he was doing. He was probably, you know what lads, let, let me just go first. It's fine. I'll I'll go out first. He knew he was getting a monster reaction. And yeah, that's it. I, I would describe the crowd as like I feel like. I, this sounds like a slight, but it's not. But it was like an, in, an imitation of an American crowd. We were all yeah. there wanting the real thing. We were all there wanting Ring of Honor, but just, you know, in our country. Like, to be honest, to the point where, like, you know, I was one of one of the people who did, you know, I spent the mega bucks from a first row tickets and, uh, and fought my way to the uh, the front of the... I remember, I think the day the tickets went on sale, I literally, I was one of the only people who could actually walk to the Olympia and buy my ticket. Uh, stood outside and got myself sorted, so I made sure I was front row. But, like, I was I was there. I remember being there and getting there, being almost being disappointed that, like, you know, like, the ring apron's got, like, a different logo on it. It's got, like, the <laughs> like a, a globe instead of the proper ROH. It's like I was made. To be fair to them, they flew out the um, the ROH barricades. Like you can't you can't go to an ROH show and sit front, sit front row without having those barricades. I appreciate those little touches. But yeah, they had those made for the show, mate. Or were they? Were they? Oh yeah, they're, they're not UK the steel ones, aren't they? They're not the steel ones. Oh yeah, they were yeah, clock, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I suppose they, they made it look up. I suppose a bit more uh, like it's legitimate. But that's what. We wanted the real ROH experience, and I think that kind of bleeds over to the fans as well because we're at a point in you know British wrestling where yeah the you know the football chanting and the singing songs and all of that stuff kind of hasn't got embedded yet, and there's huge benefits to to that kind of atmosphere it shows it can you know i think as far as like the the more adult orientated atmosphere of of you know the bigger brit res companies i think that's a huge part of it but there wasn't really that culture at that point it was it was more a case of we were all basically wanting to be there and chant the things we'd seen on dvds and chant the things we'd seen like the american counterparts do so i think that kind of added to the atmosphere as well yeah there's not that element which is what i think separates progress from ring of honor there's often comparisons between the two and i think they're valid comparisons a lot of the time Mm. about their place in the current kind of industry during those sort of boom periods but i think in terms of crowd heat and in terms of chanting it feels as someone who went to a lot of ballroom shows it felt like it got to a point where people were trying to make the crowd laugh and there were people like me, you, and JP stood there, Benno, sighing and just going, like, <laughs> fucking shut up. Yeah. It's not about you, and it's not about make it, like you making people laugh. It's about what's going on in the ring. And here, there was none of that whatsoever. And it was refreshing. And to me, it's the way that wrestling should be. Um, what I'll say is, do you remember, I don't know if you went as well, Jamesy, but Benno, do you remember we went to this, we went to like a Q&A before the show earlier in the day? Yeah, yeah. Was that yeah. this show? Yeah. Was that the one? It, it was, was both. Yeah. It was yeah, both. Gabe was, Gabe was definitely, I remember Gabe came out because I asked him a yeah. question 
And I, I thought I was the funniest guy in the world. I put my hand up and I asked, is Jimmy Bauer here? And I thought I thought I was the funniest man <laughs> in the world. That I question. think I remember <laughs> that. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so I remember, I don't remember that one, Jamesy, uh, but I remember there was a guy, the only guy who was trying to get himself over. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, go on. And, and his, he asked two questions very quickly. And Gabe came on and he said in this like really thick Northern accent that no one could really understand, are we going to get Joe Loki too, or something like that? And it, Gabe sort of didn't want to respond and sort of said something about Loki. Mm. And then he put his hand up again, and his question was, "As Rob Feinstein doing?" It was oh, like, "Oh, shut yeah. up!" I I remember that. Like yeah. people there just turned on him, and yeah. no one found him funny. Mm. And from then on, it he just shut up, and it was like people were just sort of there to kind of engage with the promotion not try and get themselves over at the expense of the promotion and i remember that guy just getting such a negative response when he thought he was being hilarious but he just shut up after that yeah now that you say it i remember that and i remember because because the gabe thing was advertised wasn't it It as like a a recording of a secrets of the ring dvd um i think that was the idea wasn't it and then they just didn't ever never actually release the dvd i think it wasn't good because our questions (laughs) but i think i asked him a question about like when he was going to book alex shelley again i think i remember doing that i'd forgotten that with this trip yeah because the other thing is correct me if i'm wrong but like going into the show, I don't think we knew until the afternoon. Did we know that Nigel and Brian was a unification match? I'm sure that got announced during the day in like one of the press things. Well, not press I things, but fan things. Don't no, remember. it, it was don't announced remember. before. Was it? it? Was, announced was it on like a video wire or something? I remember vividly because I was I was in Dubai with a friend of mine whose whose sister lived in Dubai, and he invited <laughs> me over there for for a week's holiday. And I remember. I was such a feckin' ROH fan that every day I'd make him set his sister's laptop up so yeah. I could go onto the ROH website and read the video wire. And I remember at one point during that week, it was announced that this was going to be a unification match. And oh, like okay. the friend I was over there with had no interest in wrestling. And he was just looking at me going like, why are you so excited about this wrestling match? And I was like, <laughs> but you don't understand. I'm going to a show and they're going to be unifying two titles. And he just, he just, he just looking at me going like, what is wrong with this guy? Like a grown man so excited about this wrestling show you know but yeah it, it had all been set up beforehand i think yeah oh because one thing i do remember from that afternoon it's all couldn't flood back to me though, but i remember nigel walking past me and me like the biggest mark in the world shouting go on nigel do it for england and i'm just <laughs> he literally just turned and gave me the dirtiest look i was like you know what fair enough mate <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think we were all kind of innocent at that point though, weren't we i, we think were. I remember saying yeah. something like that as well if yeah. i remember rightly and oh. i remember just I remember talking to Gabe, like seeing Gabe hanging around and going up to him with a word of him. And I remember it being really awkward, <laughs> but I don't think it was me who was awkward. I think it was him who was like super awkward and super uncomfortable. But it was kind of odd because I remember the wrestlers was just around the venue hmm. and were kind of open to go and talk. I remember talking to Prince Nana for absolutely ages. I don't know what about. But I remember talking to him for a good like half an hour about whatever we were talking about. I remember Cabana was just around, but he was trying to shill his merch, obviously, doing some carny stuff. I remember that. While being a good laugh as well. I remember uh, Mark or Jay Briscoe, one of the Briscoes, shook my hand, and I couldn't feel my hand for the rest of the day afterwards, honestly. <laughs> His grip was absolutely ridiculous. Like them chickens, if they're strangling them on that farm, they, they got no chance. <laughs> 
<laughs> do you remember there was a meet and greet? So there was it was the meet and greet and then the Q&A. And the meet and greet was in a really long, narrow hallway. And it was really awkward. All the wrestlers were at, were at a table and it was just really bad. I think it was maybe anyone who'd bought maybe front three rows got to go to this meet and greet. And um, I think they gave us posters and we got them signed by everybody and that kind of thing. But I just like, I had, I had never met wrestlers or, or been at a, a Q&A kind of a thing. And I just remember getting worked. So I remember Cabana was the first one I met and just getting sold a load of stuff by. Like I was prime for a guy who had money in his pocket, delighted to be at a wrestling show. And he just, he just took me to the cleaners, like so oh, me all yeah. kinds of shite. Like, be, be, like I, I bought from it. I, I bought on a previous trip. I bought like a, you know, this Cabana Rama UK tour t-shirt. I posted a picture of myself on Twitter the other week. He sold me like an, I was very skinny at the time, as you'll be able to see from me in front row. He sold me a triple XL version of that t-shirt and I bought it like I remember thinking oh yeah I was I go, oh yeah it'll, it'll shrink in the wash or something and I'll wear it and I'm, same thing that that first show I bought one of like the the sign photos of him where it was like and I bought it because my girlfriend at the time she was the only wrestler that she liked from me I think I'd probably like I'd done with everyone else in my life at that point I think I'd forced her to watch ROH DVDs with me God <laughs> help the poor girl and she liked Colt Cabana so I got him to like sign her picture saying like happy birthday from Colt Cabana and later in the show during the BJ Whitmer Claudio match BJ Whitmer they brawl into the crowd and I had like my photo under my chair and he stomps all over it and ruins it. And I remember going <laughs> up the next day going up to Colt Cabana and Broxburn going, Oh, you won't believe what happened. You signed this picture for me yesterday for my girlfriend's birthday and BJ Whitmer stomped all over it. Do you think I could get another one? And he was like, Yeah, yeah, no problem, buddy, no problem. Signs me another one, gives me the photo and then goes, Fifteen dollars, please. I was like, ah. <laughs> Of course, and I happily paid him. I had no problem. I'm supporting the boys, but yeah, that's called Cabana. Super worker. Uh. I tell you what, I was so glad that I had no money at this point. I remember coming up and it's an absolute shoestring that I was on. I think I was doing what Will Coolin was doing in Oberhausen with his one kebab a day, whatever it was, to get through. Like, I remember just having no money for anything and being a bit gutted. Um, I think I brought just, I remember I budgeted to get. A set of DVDs. So I remember being able to get some DVDs, but I was well, I was a student at the time working part-time at Sainsbury's. And you know what? Oh, I've just remembered as well. I called in sick to work to go to the show. <laughs> the second sickie. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just come back to me. I remember being in a God, I've not thought about this in years. I remember being in um London getting a National Express coach up uh from Victoria. And I remember going into a greasy spoon calf and using their toilet, making sure I found a really quiet spot so it felt like I was in bed still because it was like <laughs> early morning, calling in sick, saying I had a stomach bug. And I remember going back to work a few days later and we had this, we had this manager. Oh, my God, he was an absolute prick. Like, typical <laughs> retail-style manager, like Sainsbury's and his branch of Sainsbury's is the most important place <laughs> in the world. And, you know, food on shelves, you know... Uh, in done instantly is the most important thing that can possibly happen in the world and i remember i didn't get paid for this sick day and he took me to task and i remember him saying to me something like um like oh what was wrong i was like oh, i had a sickness bug i remember him saying something like oh you had a sickness bug you go and see a doctor no it was a bug it was over in a day i was obviously lying i just wanted to say i was having a great time for a bottle of daniel bryan <laughs> Liverpool. But I couldn't say that, obviously. <laughs> and I remember talking to me about how I could, have, how a salad counter um, was infected by some some 
disease that was brought over from a Asian country in some Sainsbury store in London and the entire store closed down <laughs> and how I could, could have done that to his Sainsbury's and just sat there thinking, what the fuck is wrong with this bloke? But you know, when someone's <laughs> clearly enjoying like, like, sort of using it as an opportunity to wield that power over you. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm never going to forget this. You're an absolute fucking cunt, you are, mate. <laughs> no, listening to this podcast. I think he's a manager at B&Q now. I think B&Q in Southampton, I saw him a few years ago. Tell I'm bitter. Tell I still hold a grudge. Like Brett Hart after Montreal, obviously. So if you listen, mate, I was at Ring of Honor that day, having a great time. Yeah, say- just come back to it. If anyone was out to get you, Joe, they could have just slipped them, like, get a screenshot of you in the front row, or, you know, it, it was right out there. Oh, it was thank God you know the rest of fans. Because <laughs> <laughs> they easily been grassed up there. Amazing. Oh, massively. Uh, I love this, that as we go through, we're all like, oh, yeah, well, that happened in 2006 as well. What a, <laughs> what a trip down memory lane this is going to be. Um, but anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah, we were talking about the, the, the crowd. And, uh, yeah, it's 1700 as well for this show, according to Cage Match. I didn't realise that was the actual attendance there. But, yeah, you could... Was was that their biggest house at the time? It was, yeah, it was. And then I think they maybe improved it on a WrestleMania weekend the year after. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the record. Because I think the WrestleMania I've been to, the Supercard of Honor with the Dragon Gate 6 man, Dragon Gate, or the, the Dragon Gate match on the, the second night, I think that was, at the time, was their biggest. But I think only that was only about 15, 1600. So I think this just about beat it. Uh, but I do remember them pushing that, yeah, and pushing it was the biggest. It was the loudest, definitely. That um, you could definitely hear it. And yeah, as we were saying, yeah, we should probably we'll go into the car. Like the, the opener, like, uh, again, Cocobana won the lottery came out first, got himself cheered, and to the point we were just making, like, what I thought was really interesting was when Spud comes out, and we've just been, we've just been singing his praises, and I love Spud, but poor <laughs> Spud walks out, and you can audibly hear the booze, I don't know if that's just Jamesy in his section, uh, but you can, you can really hear that, like, there's a feeling in that crowd, you know, Johnny Storm gets a bit of a cheer, and Matt Seidel gets a hero's welcome, but there's a feeling that child of, oh no, not this British shite, we're there to yeah. see Ring of Honor, we want to see Colt Cabana, yeah. we don't want to see spud that's the snobbery isn't it that i was talking about with the roh fans and we just we just weren't there to see spud we were there to see american stars weren't we really more than anything oh definitely yeah and you know as far as openers go it was all right you know i gave it two and a half on grapple this uh, this show is uh, available for for rating on grapple if anyone wants to go to the other events section and i have a cheap plug there for gareth but yeah you can you can actually uh, rate this show now he's put a couple of the uh, the retro roh shows up there as well uh, but i gave it that because it was a fun opener but it was just like it was a, it was a chance for the crowd to get to see colt cabana shout out R- chant roh you know, get Johnny Storm did a couple of fun spots. You got to see Seidel do his big uh, shooting star press for the finish. And Jamesy, it sounds like you had the, the best uh, view in the house for that one as well. Uh, it maybe outstayed its welcome a little bit, but yeah, it was it was one of them. It was this was more about the crowd getting to see Ring of Honor and watching it back on D- on the uh, the. I was going to say DVD, but via the means that we managed to watch the show because it's not really available anywhere, unfortunately, unless you uh, you have means uh, in watching it back. This was a match all about the crowd for me and just soaking in that that olympia uh, atmosphere that we're uh, starved for for, uh, for some proper wrestling at this point in 2006 i was very satisfied with this as the first wrestling match i ever saw live oh, it was kind, yeah, of, you go. <laughs> kind of a good opener i thought you know colt cabana i loved at the time great guy to get the show underway um johnny storm was in the first ever indie match i ever saw which was johnny storm aj um 
Oh yeah, show. Do you know the one I made there too? Didn't they uh, on the um, wrestling channel? Yeah, it was on the yeah, wrestling yeah. channel in like 2003. Yeah, or he, still long, he still had the long, hair in it, didn't he? He did. Yeah, it's a really yeah. good match. I remember being yeah. kind of blown yeah. away by it because I'd never seen anything like it. So it was cool getting to see him, but I didn't know he was bold. And it's weird because Johnny Storm's gimmick is still exactly the same now, 14 yeah. years later. He still comes out to the same music. <laughs> I think he wears the same singlet as well. It's, he's sort of stuck in a time warp as Johnny. But... I, I remember thinking he was past it as well, like, which is hilarious to say now. But I remember in 2006 going, ah, Johnny Storm and Jody Fleisch are so 2003. You know what I mean? Like when they were when they were actually wow. flying over to America and when they were on, like, what was that, King of England's show on, uh, on Bravo. It was like, ah, th- you know, they're a couple of years ago now. They had their moment. Remember when they did like Frontiers of Honor over here and stuff like mm. that? And like again, as somebody who wasn't following Brit Res at that point, maybe it's my fault that they kind of fell off my radar. But yeah, I remember even then in 2006 going, oh, they're bringing Johnny Storm back for this. Whereas now I'd take Johnny Storm on a show and we're, what, 14 years <laughs> later? Like I'd love Johnny Storm on a show and Jody Flesh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I actually watched this. I, I, I went to the effort of digging out the DVD just for old time's sake. Uh, number one, I wanted to see that it still work. And number two, I just felt like I wanted to do it the old school way. So I, I got the DVD player going again and plugged yeah, it in. And, and two, two, two massively nostalgic things to me from the DVD. Number one, that scuzzy techno music that oh, they used to have yes. on the, you know, the DVD menu where you, you could pick the matches or you could play it or you could watch the ROH video wire. And like the amount of times I would have passed out on my sofa watching an ROH show and woken <laughs> up at two in the morning with that belting out of the speakers on my television. I, I can still hear it in my head. Like, and I just got such a, such a wave of nostalgia here in that music. And the other thing was, the, do you remember the ROH bot arm? Remember the big thing about that? It was the, it was the, do you know what, when when the wrestlers were coming to the ring mm. and it was the graphic they used for their name to come up? But you remember Gabe made a big thing on, on, on the message board about this. He said, coming soon, the ROH bot arm. <laughs> and we were all like, what the hell? Do you not remember this? No, or is this just nah, in my... Is this no, 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 no. Was this a couple of years later? Or? No, no, no. It, it would have been sometime before this. And he was oh. coming soon, the ROH bot arm. And do you know the way Gabe liked to troll us every now and again? Like, like he would have big announcements and he teased them and that kind of thing. And this was a huge troll job. And he started a whole thread going, what do you think the ROH bot arm is like? And we were all like, God, what? is this going to be like is it going to be some new wrestler is it going to be you know because we'd always be speculating about who they might bring in and something like that and all it was was the fe- a fancy match graphic for people's names to come up on the screen and i can imagine gabe sitting at his computer laughing his head <laughs> off like when he revealed what this thing was but yeah maybe i've made that up but i'm pretty sure i hadn't amazing ever the promoter gabe uh, you gotta love it yeah yeah uh, i thought that was notable as well he's not on commentary on the show he does turn up later and has some uh, interesting things to say did you recognize <laughs> the other commentator i i yeah. Dave, Not a clue. Dave no, Prozac, I was like, yeah, Dave Prozac. Yeah. And then there's like just this... Jared something? Yeah, Jared something. I was like, what? Jared David. I looked him up. Yeah. Apparently he was a wrestler as well, but I've never No heard recollection of him. of him. No, he never stuck in my head, no. Yeah, he's kind of forgettable on the show as well. It wasn't bad in any way. He was just... He was a voice, wasn't he? Um, Prozac was kind just of there, carrying yeah. the booth. Well, yeah. I could hardly hear the commentary. I thought the sound mixing was absolutely terrible. Yeah, oh, it wasn't yeah. great, yeah. Mid-2000s ROH, that was kind of it. One, If it wasn't Gabe screaming, you couldn't hear them. That was kind of the uh, the two ways it'd go. Um, I don't know... 
any other thoughts on that open? Uh, anyone go higher than me on two and a half? Is that a uh, is that a strong rating for that one? James, Three point two five, mate. Oh wow! There you go. First match you ever saw, Joe. So it's understandable. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two, two and a half for me. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, fun opener, and it, it is a good way to set the uh, the tone for the show. I love that uh, one of my big memories is yeah, is being in the crowd, and yeah, after this match, uh, a, a rogue Chris Hero appears. Comes through the crowd, does the sw- does a really sweet roll under the ropes, doesn't need to get into the ring. This was obviously yeah, in the. Uh, I remember at the time. I think the other reason, you know, Ch- the reason Chad Collier's on this show is he was overdoing a UK tour, and I think at the time Hero was overdoing some UK stuff, wasn't he? I don't think he'd flew over with yeah. Ring of Honor. I think we all kind of had a feeling they might try and further this uh, this hero storyline and this uh, what would become the uh, the, the CZW feud uh, but yeah I thought that was a it was a nice moment to, uh, to to use him and to get it in canon and to see him yeah rush past me uh, into the ring and get cut Cabana once again to make the uh, the big save tell you what he did well out of the booking on this show Cabana um, but yeah, that kind of went into you know the, the, I think the basically settable match for later on, and that went into probably one of the the longer matches on the show. Uh, up next, we had Jimmy Raven, Davy Richards. Um, be interesting to see which way you guys go on this one. This was a again one of the longer matches on the show. I love that the um, the flu Prince Nana over. Uh, that that's another nice little you know you want to give the fans a legitimate ROH show. Well, you need Prince Nana cutting a promo um, about all his women and his uh, and his crown jewel and about Jimmy Rave. Uh, Jimmy Rave got the toilet paper of his life uh, in this one. Uh, we've definitely got stories on that, haven't we, James, when it goes to the toilet mm, paper. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, in there with uh, with young boy Davey Richards, uh, what do you guys... Uh, Joe, this is the second match you ever saw live. What's your uh, your memories of this one? What did you think of it uh, on tape? Right, so for me, this match, Jimmy Rave. Uh, I was a fan of the Jimmy Rave gimmick. I was a fan of the Embassy. I was a big fan of Prince Nana. I thought he was really good fun. I loved the toilet roll gimmick. It was great fun of a night. I remember pissing myself watching toilet roll go flying everywhere. I remember toilet rolls coming back over my head when Jimmy Ray was kicking him about as well. We were all waiting for it. I remember the anticipation leading up to the toilet roll was great. Then Davy Richards entered, and, you know, the moment was over. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, that's that for me is just a personal take on Davy Richards. I remember at this point, Davy Richards, I don't know if I'd really seen a lot of him. I think because of the delay in the DVDs, mm, yeah. I'd maybe only seen one of his matches at this point, and I think I'd seen one in PWG online somewhere, maybe. You know, people were raving about this bloke, and I'm thinking, hmm don't know and i remember not really enjoying the match of the night i remember being quite bored at points a bit like not bored because i was obviously on a high and the adrenaline was flowing at my first show i remember watching this show back maybe about seven eight years ago my brother and i remember us watching this match saying this is dull and it felt really poorly structured at points and put together if i'm rightly so when i got to it this time i thought i'll give it a couple of minutes i was bored I'm not going to lie, I didn't want to sit for a Davy Richards match, and I didn't want to sit for a Davy Richards match that went 23 minutes. So I ran on through it, because I just I just don't like Davy Richards as a wrestler. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the Davy Richards uh, pundit, that's Joe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not... It's funny, because at this point, like with Davy Richards, like 
a lot of like indie hopes were pinned on him. Like this was the point, wasn't it, James, where he was teaming with mm. Super Dragon in PWG? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was one of the people pushing for him to get on ROH shows and wanting for him to be on ROH shows. And when he did start to turn up, thinking he was going to be the next thing, and oh, what a perfect fit he's going to be as like this. I think Gabe <sighs> did as well. Gabe kind of hyped him as that. Mm, yeah. yeah, really yeah. built him. Um, I mean, it depends on who you talk to because I think for us, as like our generation of Ringo on a fan. Like, Davey Richards just wasn't really a thing that ever happened. There's other Ring of Honor fans who maybe are more into the stuff that came a couple of years later that'll talk about his matches with Eddie Edwards. Edwards, like the, you know, that oh, specifically so that, that five-star Melter one is one of the best matches of all time. And oh, the Eldie Elgin match, yeah. Yeah, oh, the Elgin, the Elgin, is Elgin the five-star? Yeah, I'm sure he it's did. Elgin, 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 Elgin Richards, yeah, yeah five-star yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah, and like, I remember at the time kind of not getting it. But I'll be honest, at this point I was into it, he's obviously... He's got there's some there's like a raw quality to him and like something that could have maybe been molded into better than I personally maybe thought that Davy Richards turned into. Uh, so for that reason, I think I was a bit more into the match than you, Joe. I gave it the gentleman's three on grapple. Uh, I think I actually gave it a three point two five. I, I, to be honest though, maybe I'm blinded by how much I love Jimmy Rave at this point as well. I loved him as a heel at this point. He was like I mentioned before that it wasn't long after this I tried to try my hand at wrestling, and that was one of the at first I really wanted to be like this scouse heel who wrestled like Jimmy Raven, did like a a crown jewel kind of gimmick because I loved him that much. I thought he, I thought he was that good. Uh, obviously watching back maybe he's not quite as good as I thought he was but I always liked it was an undercard heel I always thought he added something to the uh, the RH shows in this period and yeah as far as having like a a young kind of hungry wrestler to work with I thought it was a, a decent enough match I don't know where you land Jamesy yeah it's, I think this is a great example of how your tastes change and probably I would like to think mature maybe as a fan over time because to me at the time two guys in the second match of the show going 23 minutes and, you know, doing technical wrestling, shall we say, and doing hard kicks was very, I thought that was good wrestling. You know what I mean? I I thought this was great. Like, and I thought, God, God, aren't they really good to be going 23 minutes? And at the time I was big. And I remember a lot of the people I talked to around this time, like we were all really impressed with David Richards over the course of this weekend. Um, the idea of, of of a junior heavyweight style wrestler who'd you know do the stiff kicks and kind of was it was a bit of a dynamite kid ripoff and that kind of thing. But like to us at the time, we thought that was the greatest thing ever. And now I look back like and and I can see all the flaws in him. You know what I mean? And especially at this point where he's he's fairly new to the scene. Like I do think there came a point like maybe around to 2010, 2011 where he did mature as a wrestler and. Even if he was never a great consistent wrestler, you could at least put him in with like a Roderick Strong or a mm. Kota Ibushi, like and like you could have genuinely good matches with people. And he became a very good tag wrestler. I think in the, in like as a tag wrestler, you can mask his deficiencies a little bit, but like he's not got any charisma here whatsoever. Like, and it's jarring how little charisma he has when you've got Prince Nana and Jimmy Rave across the ring from him. Um, it's all very hollow, isn't it? Like, mm. why would you have any reason to care about this guy looking back? You know what I mean? There's no personality. There's no ability to get you involved in the match. There's no real engagement with the crowd. There's just this guy robotically doing good-looking moves. Like, this, the kicks are very good and very stiff. He's like a guy who's watched a lot of Japanese tapes and he's doing his best to do an impression of them, you know, that kind of a way. So it's just amazing how, like, in 2006, I was in love with this kind of thing. And in 2020, I'm looking back and I can kind of go, God, like, this, that really wasn't as good as I thought it was. And, like, what business does 
a nothing match on the undercard of a show like this have going 23 minutes. If this had been 10 minutes, it would have been just as good, if not better, you know. Yeah. I remember the other matches at this point going at sort of like, I remember there was one that was eight minutes. So I remember thinking, oh, that was pretty good. I remember there was one that went sort of 10, 12 minutes. I think they had three matches. Yeah, this and, was the other, third. Yeah. and the other two were better than this because they were more condensed. They sort of worked within the limitation of what they were both sort of capable of at the time. I think one of the problems with this is because they, if you look through the card, there aren't actually that many ROH regulars. They bring a lot more for the 2007 shows. So it felt like they were giving certain matches a lot of time to try and give the crowd, I don't know, just to keep the crowd on top of the show, if anything, because they knew that the crowd were going to be hot for this. And so they could get to that kind of three hour point. That's what I sort of got from this. But Davy Richards is such a bizarre one for me because I, I, the tag team was Super Dragon. I really liked. I saw them wrestle against Steen and Generico in Portsmouth in 2007, which was my brother's first show. And that was like an e- it was a bad show. And that was an easy match of a night. And I remember Davy had really improved by that point. I also saw him at a WrestleMania weekend wrestling against Kenta in what was a great match in Houston. But I just think, as a guy, he... And I don't mean to make this a Davey Richards podcast, but I don't get the opportunity to talk about my kind of dislike from him as a wrestler much. But I think he rated himself higher than anyone did. And I always say, back yourself, believe in yourself. He openly said he didn't watch wrestling. He didn't like wrestling. And the only wrestling he watched was the Dynamite Kids matches. And other than that, he just watched MMA. And that was a warning sign for me and made me kind of wary of him as a talent. Uh, I found as his career went on, he got better in terms of charisma and in terms of personality, but it wasn't at a main event draw level for me. And also the problem that I had with him is I found him a very indulgent wrestler. I thought that he was really getting off on what he was doing in the ring when he was doing it. And it was like, he thought his stuff was great while he was doing it. And it was that that I had a real problem with. And I never got, so it's sort of 2010 to 13 was probably the leanest period for me watching indies and following indies, but I would still watch big ring of honor shows when they happened and often watching my brother. I remember, us tuning in and just being like what is it about this guy that people are loving this this kind of main event talent like i was just it was just kind of lost on me and it sort of spoke to me about why the indies were so lean at that point in time because someone like a davy richards was considered the guy at that point and he never had the presence the charisma or the ability of someone who was the guy. Think about how many guys we had, you could say, were the guy on the Indies in 2016, 2017. It's ridiculous that four years before that, five years before that, Davey Richards was the guy on the Indies. Sorry, bit of a rant. <laughs> no, it's fair. Like, when, you, when you raise the point of like, him being kind of a bit full of himself, what I was thinking was to remember that period where he was like, he had like a bit of like a, he had a feud in ROH with Kevin, o- with Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens. And mm. you can tell, like, there was just something weird about the matches. And I remember watching Kevin Steen's, like, w- like one of his shoot interview shows or something like that, where he had Davey on. And Davey was like, yeah, yeah. During that match, I was trying to blow you up to prove how good I was and how bad you were. And Kevin, Kevin Steen was just like, like that's that's not how wrestling works. You're not, we're supposed to be working together. Why, why would you do that? Why would you be trying to make me look bad? And that just always summed Davey Richards up to me. So yeah, as, as much as like I'm probably the high man on this podcast on this match, at least for its its slot on the show, you're not going to find me doing too much of a, a hard sell or a hard defender of, uh, of Davey Richards. 
Yeah, you know, when you see, cr- you think about indie stereotypes and like cringe indie wrestling, for mm. me, that's Davy Richards. Yeah, that's it. Speaking of cringe, all- um, I thought it was interesting, James, you watching the uh, the show back and uh, the, the crowd chants towards the poor kids in the balcony. Like, I, re- <laughs> I, I remember in 2006 being among the crowd. Basically, if anyone hasn't watched this TV, the show back or is unable to, there are some. It's like a balcony here above the ring, isn't it? And I'm pretty sure they'd be like the like one of the security guards or someone to do with the venue must have hired them out their own little private balcony. And there's this yeah. group of like eight to ten kids who must be there for like a birthday party who for whatever reason decided to pipe up in this match. I think it was the toilet paper that kind of got them going. Uh, and they're really, really loud to the point where I reckon again to the point we said at the start of the show, it starts to make the show sound a little bit like a like a mid two thousands indie. You know the way like mm. a like a like a more adult orientated show has got a certain sound to the crowd and like the the Robbie Brookside kind of show uh, would have a very different atmosphere. I honestly think in that moment we were all rebelling against that because literally the entire place is shouting shut the fuck up at these fucking (laughs) eight or nine year old poor kids up in the balcony and past your bedtime. Past your bedtime, uh, I remember it, yeah. uh, And I remember being being outraged by them, like, and that's the thing, that that was the the mentality, like, how dare they come and spoil our super serious wrestling show. How fuming would you be as a dad now, James? How fuming would you be if you were on the show? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. you paid to bring your kids to the show and they get shouted down by everyone like it's just that was the mentality though wasn't it like we, we, we are we are here we're ROH fans and we're here to watch the super serious wrestling like and how dare they interrupt us and how dare they have fun in their own way and that kind of thing and it's it's, it's literally the only time that the crowd isn't kind of engaged with the wrestling in the ring I suppose you know what I mean yeah. it's the one time it kind of goes away from. and I remember kind of looking at, at Davey Richards in the ring and thinking God, like if if a wrestler with more charisma was in the ring at that point, they'd have made something from that. You know what I mean? They they'd have. Do you know if 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 a mature Chris Hero was in there, he uses that in some way. You know what I mean? To get the kids on his side or something like that, or plays off it a little bit. And it's a bit like they just kind of him and Jimmy Rave just kind of stop and wait for the chance to kind of shout them down and then they get on with the wrestling and I'm kind of thinking <laughs> a, more, a more seasoned pro like would have used that in some way and made the match better because of it you know yeah definitely uh, but yeah that was that match again I'm probably the high man but I just love myself some uh, some undercard Jimmy Rave but yeah after this point lads we get to the point in the show where <clears> I was trying to watch this yesterday as that all that news broke and I've got to be honest, my eye was starting to wander. A um, couple of really throwaway matches we'll probably get through quickly. And BJ Whitmer and Claudio Castagnoli and Colt Cabana and Chris Hero set up earlier. I'd say the BJ Claudio match again is most notable for me for one, BJ Whitmer using my water bottle that I've for some reason bought into the venue, like a full on two litre water bottle that I bought from the Asda down the road. <laughs> he uses that as a weapon in the match and then he stomps all over my Colt Cabana picture. Uh, that's kind of my, that's the bad memory of them. Couple of two star specials as far as I'm concerned on grapple uh, any big memories from you guys uh, it was just a match wasn't it it was just kind of there if anything <clears throat> uh, BJ Whitmer's music uh, I remember thinking was awful first time I've heard it in the years it, it still sounded awful don't know why I ever used that as an entrance fee sledgehammer on the other hand awesome do think Trent entirely used it better later on though but still good one thing I remember about Claudio Castagnoli from this weekend, that Q&A sort of fan-gathering thing before the show, hmm. do you remember him walking around in a pink suit? Mm, yeah. I think so, and yeah. He was, and playing heel the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that was the most I'd ever seen him sort of give off before in terms of character stuff. It was very odd, but kind of cool at the same time. Yeah. 
And that's kind of my memory of him from this weekend, not this match. <laughs> no. Anything from you on it, Jamesy? Or maybe the next one, no. Connor and Hero? I I think what they probably should have done was just done a tag match yeah. and done Claudio and Hero against Cabana and Whitner because they're two very nothing matches. You know what I mean? Um, the, the only thing I would say is it's we're just in the period after, like the, the cage of death has happened between the two promotions at this point. And what what I, one of the great things about that whole angle is that they actually, ROH used it to elevate people like Whitmer. Like, I remember not really thinking much of Whitmer for a long, long time. And oh, they would yeah. book him and book him and book him. And he was, maybe was in that tag team with Dan Maff for a while, which is okay. And then he was doing a singles run and nothing ever clicked. And it was only after that feud that people actually kind of respected him. Like he did the barbed wire match with Necro Butcher and people kind of had a lot of respect for him after that. And I just remember thinking like, God, like what a great feat of booking that you'd use that big feud to get like Adam Pierce was another guy who got elevated by that feud. You know what I mean? I remember thinking how good the booking is that you'd get guys like, like in hindsight, BJ Whitmer was a very bland, very average wrestler, but like he felt like a big deal. Even the fact that he was over in Liverpool felt like a big deal to us at the time. Mm. Um, But but apart from that, two nothing matches that I don't really feel like anything we need to say about them to be honest the only thing i'd say for the hero cabana one is i found hero really interesting because you hero is such a geek and for me his offense here showed what a geek he is and there's nothing wrong with that but i thought his offense was so showy like the cravats he was doing the little rolls at times like you can tell he's watched this stuff on these tapes he's been watching or these tracy smothers sem- seminars he's been attending the week before oh yeah and he's thinking right i'm gonna lay this uppercut in this way and <laughs> do this rotation this way and i thought it was kind of fascinating watching hero back in this sort of match at this stage of his career because mm. 10 years later he was doing some similar stuff but it felt far more directed and smarter I think, and sort of it had a place and you sort of can see what a journey he went on as a wrestler, yeah. but also he bet on himself and how fascinated he was by wrestling oh, yeah. and wanted to learn. And yeah, Chris Hero is a guy that he's probably one of my, in my top 20 of all time, I'd say. Put it mm. up. Oh, yeah. It's funny with Hero because like, it felt like a battle to get him into an ROH because like, you guys have probably mm. been from the message board as well. Like any time there was like a, who do you want to see an ROH kind of like thread? It'd be Hero, it'd be Quackenbush, it'd be Super Dragon. And they were kind of the guys that Gabe would just not book. And he just, I think, I, I think he always had a dislike for like guys who wrestle in t shirts. I think that was maybe part of it. I know, yeah. I know he's, he's come on record about that before about, you know, Hero during this period, and, you know, the likes of Eric Cannon that never really got a shot in ROH, although, you know, I think he was probably a, a budget version of this technical style that Hero did. But like Hero, yeah, like at this point, there would have been people who would tell you, like on the Indies, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world already. Like he was like, at this point, people would talk about him like he was a veteran. I always thought that's why he gave himself that young knockout kid um, nickname because he kind of wants to remind people that he was still a lad in like his early thirties and he wasn't like you know some indie veteran in his in his late forties or something like that because he'd just been around for that long and people have been saying he was good for that long. And I totally get your point, jokes. I think when Hero's ridiculous kind of cravat-led offense and that was done genuinely as a babyface, I never got it. But I think through this CZW run and through this heel ROH run and through, you know, heel work that he did on the Indies, I think it really worked as like a heel thing, you know, for him to do his stupid flips into the ring and do his his stupid cravats. I think I feel like that was where, you know, this might be sacrilege for some people who already thought he was one of the best people in the world. But I felt like, like especially this heel run in ROH is where the penny really dropped with Kira, with Hero and where he really did get into the conversation as one of the best indie wrestlers in the country. Don't know if you think I'm out of turn with that one, James. I know you're a hero guy. No, like, 
if you go back to me in 2006, I would have been massively unconvinced by Chris Hero. And again, I think it's it's nearly the whole drinking the ROH Kool Aid. Yeah. If he was good, if he was good enough, he'd be in ROH. Would have been my mentality, you know, that kind of a way. And the same with Quackenbush. And like, I do think Hero was still like, this is 2006. I think he was still very much putting it together as a wrestler. Like I, I would mm. say he hadn't kind of fully formed and fully matured as a wrestler until probably 2011. Like I think there's kind of two career peaks of Hero. If you look back at his career, there's 2011 and 2016. And it wasn't kind of until he did those trips to Noah and kind of rounded out that part of his offense and mm. he kind of came more of a better striker and that kind of thing that he truly became a world-class wrestler. But like, yeah, I I just remember like I, I couldn't see it with him and I totally bought into like who's this baggy pants geek kind of a thing. You know what I mean? That would have been my mentality about him. And it was only maybe when they kind of, remember they teamed him up with Larry Sweeney and ROH and that kind of thing. And there mm. was the, the, the Chris is awesome thing Sweet and all that. Sweet and Sour Incorporated. Sour Incorporated, yeah. They were great. And it was only then I actually, back then, it's only then that I was convinced by him. Um, and like, again, like just to go off on a tangent, he's such a good lesson in in about the value of staying on the indies for a wrestler and the value of going to different places. You look at all the different influences on his career. Like at this point, he's kind of a Shikara wrestler, I would call him. So you, you see all the, the fancy flips and the Lucha style stuff. He had to go to Japan before he developed a striking game. He had to spend years on the indies before he kind of rounded it all out. And like, he is the ultimate lesson to wrestlers and don't be going signing contracts when you're two or three years into your career. Go out, you know, learn different styles, round yourself out as a performer and look how good he became. Like, as I said, I was watching some Match of the Decade stuff there lately. I'm watching some old hero from 2011 when he was in really trim condition as well. Like he was a hell of a wrestler by then, you know what I mean? But he doesn't get that way unless he goes everywhere and travels and, and, and gets a wrestling education. And it just, you know, it just makes me so sad that so many wrestlers don't see the value in learning and getting a wrestling education anymore. For sure. Uh, well, next up, uh, we had a uh... A match that maybe I wasn't hugely looking forward to watching back on the VOD, but I actually thought it was okay uh, as far as a rewatch goes. We had kind of what was basically our Noah Tag plus Jody Fleisch, is probably the way I'd describe this match. Doug and Jody against Go Shiazaki and, uh, and Sua. Uh, this was during the uh, the period, wasn't it, where Sua came over and he did that. Remember, it was like one of the original viral clips where like somebody had asked him what he thought of Brit Res, and he he was like, "Many, many skinny boy, shit." It's like yep, that sums up Brit Res. Necessary training. That's it. Necessary training. <laughs> Amazing. And he was right. He wasn't wrong. I, I hope that. Right. <laughs> I hope Jody hadn't kind of influenced that because there's there's points of this match where he outright just doesn't want to take some of the bumps for Jody. Like Jody tries to do the uh, is it the, the six thirty the Phoenix DDT. And uh, so yeah. it just doesn't go along for it. And it's just like, ooh, this is awkward. Uh, but I, to be honest, I think it went too long. Similar to the Davy Jimmy match. You know, this is another 23-minute match that didn't need to be a 23-minute match. And some of the heat on Jody goes really, really long. Uh, they kind of tease uh, Doug going up top um, for his bigger knee drop finish far too many times. And it just, for me, it goes at least five too long. But I still thought it was an alright tag. I thought Jody was decent fighting from underneath. If again, yeah, it probably could have been trimmed down. Uh, and I thought Doug looked good too. Uh, I thought it was a, a decent enough match. I went three on grapple. It's a gentleman's, but it's it was fine. Were you uh, any uh, higher on this one, James? Are you, are you a sewer guy? He seems like you're kind of wrestler. Again, I would be now. 
mm. more than I would have been back then. I, I remember I was only kind of getting into Noah back in 2006 at this point, and the guys I liked in Noah were the Kentas and the Marafujis, the guys who had a bit of flash about them. I, I wasn't in a place in my fandom, I think, to appreciate just a guy being an outright heel like Sua would have been, you know what I mean? Whereas nowadays, I'd be all about that kind of thing almost, you know? Um, again, I would say this probably is the best match on the undercard if you exclude the two main event matches. Probably the best match on the card apart from that. As you said, Jody kind of stands out a little bit like a, so even on paper, he stands out completely. Um, the Noah guys are very solid. Um, I think Oshiyazaki was doing a, a kind of a UK tour. Like I, I, I think I mentioned it on the last show. I saw him in Dublin a few times for Irish for wrestling around this time. Uh, like at one point, he would have wrestled Drew Galloway. Mm. Which, when you think about in 2020, that's the WWE Universal Champion against the Noah GHC Champion. It's kind of mad to think the paths they've taken in the in the 14 years since, you know. But um, yeah, a good solid match. Um, not a whole lot more to say about it, really. That's it. Any memories of this one, Joe? Well, uh, I went, on to, the bar, went <laughs> to the bar because I got kind of bored. I, I liked some of the guys there. I was just thinking, oh, what's this doing in the car? This isn't Ring of Honor uh, <laughs> at the time. And uh, I, I, I watched the entrances and thought, 23 minutes. Oh, I've got other <laughs> stuff to do. You know, it's lockdown, plenty to do at the moment. <laughs> um, I ran for a bit, mate. Sorry. Yeah. Understandable, to be honest. Like, I remember the time, I get it now because of politics, but I wanted Johnny and Jody to be the tag team here. And I feel like, yeah, you might, I don't think you were getting that match, unfortunately, with the Noah element. But I would have loved to see them as a, a team on this show, maybe against uh, two other people. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm higher than you. I kind of I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a solid match. But I'm hoping, if you didn't watch this one, Joe, for the, for the sake of history, you at least watch the entrances of the follow-up match because my god, James oh, just, yeah. James oh, just said oh, the yeah. last one was the was the best match on the undercard. I think we're all comfortably going to agree the worst match on the undercard followed up because when, remember when we said earlier about how you know we all came here to see Ring of Honor, <laughs> we didn't come here to see you know whatever Brit Rez was at the time and, and whatever we thought of Brit Rez. This match, both in the building and watching it back on VOD stands out like a sore thumb. Like, I know for a fact Brian Danielson is backstage telling Gabe Sapolsky that he's just come back from one of his UK tours and Robbie Brookside's this all-time great who's taught him all kinds of things, which I'm sure he did. You know, and he, I believe he's a great trainer and I believe he's a great pro for those kind of camp shows and for, you know, what Brit Rez was or wasn't in, in the 90s and in the early 2000s. But my God, is he the personification of what we didn't want to see on this show. He walks out with his FWA British belt, with his cheap trunks, knee pads and boots, for a match with with his foot, with his with his hair that he looks like he hasn't cut in 30 years, and it's just this horrific look. Like, he's a guy that Gabe is not booking in the US whatsoever. Against another guy who apparently Gabe's not booking in the US whatsoever, because he completely, he turns up on commentary just to bury Chad Collier for a couple of minutes, <laughs> and goes on about, oh, Chad Collier never got over, but he's here because FWA requested him, and like, that just gets off commentary and leaves. It's no pay off to that. He's he just having a go. <laughs> It was just like, I think Gabe knew how much this died in the building and how much it dies on VOD. And, you know, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as I remember, but it was still pretty bad because I gave it one and a half stars on Grapple. I think, to be honest, at the time, though, Joe, when they gave it zero, people just didn't want this, did they? And I'm I'm sure you were in uh, the same boat as me that night. I'll be honest with you, right? So 
<clears throat> I knew Robbie Brookside was because I heard Daniel Bryan talk about him, right? But I, you know, he's one of those Brit rest guys you have names of. I wasn't following Brit rest. I'll be honest. Whenever I saw or any mention of British wrestling, I thought it looked utterly embarrassing. Yeah. Bunch of blokes down at a camp, like Butlins or wherever, uh, doing like weird out of date gimmicks. Or they should have died in the eighties. Clutched onto an industry that basically died in the 80s, pretending it was still alive. That was the way I always thought about that stuff, mate. I was utterly embarrassed by it, and I still am today. I'll be honest with you. I probably offended a few people there. There are some perfectly good workers out there, and it's a good place to learn your craft if you are wrestling. It's a good way to get regular dates. But it didn't belong in Ring of Honor. And I remember thinking, right, oh, this Brookside guy is meant to be quite good, isn't he? And, you know, I was a big fan of the television show Brookside, as you know, as well, Benno. So I thought, ah, <laughs> you know, good connection there as well. And I remember this, I remember coming out and I remember being like, God, his hair is awful. His looks awful. What's this music? And I remember oh. his sort of old act going around the ring was just a bit cringe. I remember looking at his belt and thinking, is that the Intercontinental title? Like yep. the old yes, it was. From the yes, 90s? it was. Yep. And just being like, what like what's going on here and when the match started and my god did it die i was so bored during this <laughs> i remember just these kids at the top those kids you were talking about earlier they were interrupting i think it might be his kids ah. and i think it might be his kids mates who have come along for the night i've got a feeling anyway uh, but my God, was it dull. And like Chad Collier, I didn't mind Chad Collier from his sort of earlier Ring of Honor appearances. But uh, Robbie Brookside for me, I know, I think James, he's done some stuff in Brookside before and probably enjoys him a bit more than I do. But I, I just don't get it. Like when you hear people raving about how great he is and what a great trainer he is, I'm sure he is a good trainer, but... As a wrestler, like I, I, it just lost on me, absolutely lost on me. I wasn't there time and place to watch him in probably the environment that suited him best. So that's a problem, I suppose, when it comes to my assessment of him. There's your yeah, opening, like, um, Do you want to be the proper this, side defence squad? <laughs> I, I, well, I'm not going to be tonight. I, I, I do have a certain respect for him, and I have seen matches of his that I have enjoyed. I'll always talk about there's a really great match with Danielson. In WXW, I'm trying to remember, I think it was after this. So clearly, as you guys said, he's somebody that Danielson respects. But like you talk about, it's a bit like that um, World of Sport match being on that international showdown show yes. that we reviewed the last day. It's just totally out of place here. You know what I mean? And I think I, I talk to American fans sometimes and I, I think American fans almost revere the old British stuff more than British fans do mm. in a way. I think there's a, probably promoted by the likes of Danielson and say the likes of Nigel incorporating that kind of stuff into their wrestling and that kind of thing. They kind of have a bit of a rose tinted view of some of the old world of sports stuff. And I think if they actually watched it, they mightn't be as impressed by it. James, uh, I just interrupt you, mate. Okay point on that so i yeah. once when i was in florida a few years ago i went to a couple of evolve shows and uh me and biff busick really hit it off top bloke i was <laughs> chatting to i was chatting to him for ages right and he we were talking about all sorts of wrestling and just general stuff really good bloke and then he started talking about world of sport thinking i'd just be this massive world of sport fan and he could not believe it when i told him about like how i found world of sport kind of embarrassing um, and a bit cringe to look back on. And I tried to sort of explain it from a kind of cultural point of view um, and how it's kind of a, an interesting insight into mm. like the past. But I think not experiencing like British culture, there's kind of this disconnect from it. 
and they assume that it was like this thing that we as fans in the UK kind of heard about from our elders kind of thing. And like, yeah, I've heard my dad talk about giant haystacks. I've heard my granddad refer to, I don't know, Mick McManus before and say break when he used to break his car like the referee would in <laughs> World of Sport. But yeah, you, I think you're spot on when it comes to that. It was really interesting having that one-on-one conversation with just seeing his shock when I sort of gave him my sort of upfront opinion about it. Sorry, mate, ca- please carry on what you were saying. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's it. And as I said, just just felt like a match that was out of place. And like even me back then who would literally swallow up anything that ROH put on a plate at this point, as I said, like I was sitting at this show, having a ball, enjoying all this stuff. I was just scratching my head at this match. Like I just couldn't understand why it was on the card. Chad Collier was somebody... I thought it was okay at the time. I, I prob- I, I'd say if I went back and watched Chad Collier now, I'd probably enjoy his wrestling a lot more, given the taste that I've developed as a fan over times. But back then, he wasn't somebody I rated particularly highly. And yeah, just just a weird thing. I, I wonder, was he instrumental in maybe getting the Olympia booked, being from Liverpool himself or something like that? And they felt like they had to put him on the show as a kind of a thank you or something like that. I don't know. But the whole thing was just very, very, very strange. And like you said, Joe... He just looked, the look was terrible. Like he didn't even bother getting nice new ring gear for us or anything like that. The weird long hair, the build, just everything about it was just off and strange and just completely out of place on on, on this cutting edge American US indie show. Like it just, as you said, there's no way Gabe was ever going to fly him out to America, you know? Not a chance. Yeah, for me, I think it was purely rap. I think he took, Gabe took Brian's word, as you would. And this is kind of what we ended up with. Like one thing I've heard people say about this is like at this time, like one thing Brookside was doing that we might have been into. He was doing a big um, anti-keyboard warrior gimmick on like in FWA, and he was like the he was leaning into the fact that I'm like the I'm the world of sport guy, and you you internet fans don't get it type of thing. That probably would have got over better than this. Him going in there as like the bland hometown babyface that none of us really cared about. And yeah, as I said, you know, poor Chad Collier as well. Any 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 thoughts about the thinking is behind it? Why does Gabe bury him so bad on the commentary? I felt I'm not a Chad Collier guy, but I felt so bad for him. It was just like, yeah, we booked him for a while. He never got over, so we stopped using him. And after we wants to use him tonight, so there you go. There's your story. It's like fucking hell, Gabe. Give the lad a break. I think. Uh... Andy Ogden was at this show as well. And on our recent WrestleMania watch along, he buried this match on there as well. And that was of no provocation. So <laughs> <laughs> Told you everything, like, it's really kind of uh, got a place in people's memories for all the, all the right reasons. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I think it's Gabe. I think, do you know the way Gabe would be on the message boards? And like you could wind Gabe up. And like he would get very gotten to about things people said. Mm. I feel like Gabe really cared way too much, probably, mm. what the hardcore ROH fanbase thought. And as you said, he knew himself this wasn't great. And it was almost like because he he specifically says on commentary, like, um, we dropped Chad Collier because the fans rejected him. Doesn't he say something like that? <laughs> he does. And it's almost it's almost like he's saying, sorry about this, guys, for putting this on the show, but we kind of had to or something like that. It's almost him kind of trying to make good with the fans and making sure he keeps them on side. Like, but poor old Chad Collier doesn't deserve that. Like, Jesus Christ, it was an awful burial. <laughs> oh, poor lad. There's a proper space in the, uh, the RH Hall of Fame for him. 
Matt Stryker, John Walters, the, uh, <laughs> the lost, yeah, the yeah. lost mid card guys of uh, the early two thousands who just never quite got over. Uh, but I suppose uh, up next, at least we got a we got something that was the uh, at least for us at the time, and maybe now. But I'll be interested on your takes. Was the proper stuff? Uh, yeah, we get into our, our double main event essentially, and yeah. Aries and Strong versus the Briscoes. Uh, this is one I believe Melter gave 4.3, uh, 4.75 uh, as far as this match goes wow. at the time. Um, I can see it at the time. I think it's it's one of them. It, this is what we came for. This was, you know, your big bumps. Poor uh, referee and young Andy Quilden in the ring. Basically just not enforcing any tags. He gives up at one point and he just, he's just like, oh, whatever. It's an indie tag. And it is, it's one of those matches where, you know, it, it's big moves. It's big near falls. There's a psychology to it. But, you know, there's also a lot of big moves and a lot of big near falls. But it's from four people who are, you know, four of the best in the world at it. At this at this stage, Briscoes are still feeling really fresh in Ring of Honor, having you know at those that year or so out and, uh, and and making their return. This is like basketball shorts era Briscoes, which is one of my favourite. Uh, those those proper classic basketball shorts uh, era Briscoes that I really enjoy. Uh, those again, Confederate flag ones. Oh, the ones before then. <laughs> yeah, the Confederate flag's a bit of a uh, bit of an issue, uh, but maybe not the only issue with the Briscoes. But they but did look great. It, it they looked, did. They worked good great. As well. Tracy's yeah. mother, same thing, you know. <laughs> James Gibson, he had the Confederate flag in Ring of Honor as well. As I'm a... not endorsing the Confederate flag by any means, <laughs> but they did look great on the Briscoes. Yeah, they had, they had a great look. I remember that on like the bus trip we'll mention later, like the, one of the bus drivers going to me. Are they twins? I was like, no, they're just they're just brothers. They're just yeah, clearly that's just what everybody in uh, in that family looks like in uh, in Delaware. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I maybe didn't enjoy this as much watching it now a few years later. Uh, but at the time, this was you know this was the future style, I suppose, as we would have all seen it. And this, I'm guessing, we were all sat there in the crowd thinking, and we probably found out later on in the night, wrestling can't get much better than this. Oh yeah, this like at the time. As you said, this is why we were there. This is why I turned up to this show. Um, you know, the Briscoes were very much a top act in the company and they were on that really great run of just having these main event tag matches month in, month out. Um, and like, I have to say, watching this back, I thought it actually held up really, really well. I, you know, I've become very disillusioned with tag team wrestling in the last few years because I, I just feel it's degenerated into spots and people doing flashy things for the sake of it. Teams like the Lucha Bros, who, who on one hand, you kind of think they're athletically athletically impressive and that kind of thing. But on another thing, how many Lucha Bros matches actually stand out in your head when you think back on all the matches they've had over the last few years? They tend to kind of blur together a little bit. And something's been lost in tag wrestling. And I, what I liked about this match and what surprised me was the stiffness of everything. And the feeling that there was two teams that really disliked each other in the match. Like, Jesus, some of the chops they were throwing. And it wasn't just Roderick Strong, who was always throwing heavy chops. The Briscoe strikes, Austin Aries throwing throwing chops. It didn't feel like two teams going out there saying, we're going to have a spectacular match and blow people away. It felt like a fight between two teams who didn't like each other. And then it culminated and there were high spots and there were big spots in the match, but they were also memorable spots. Like I can clearly remember in my head, the big spot, the big reverse Rana, even before I watched this show back, I'll never forget that reverse. It was before reverse Rana's became a thing you saw two or three times on every card. And like, I remember that reverse Rana just blowing my mind at the time. And like, it's, it still stands out as a really good, as a really good spot, you know? So I feel like this is better than a lot of the tag wrestling you'll see now, purely because there was, 
it wasn't just an exhibition of moves, I suppose. It felt like there was hatred between the teams. It felt like there was a rivalry. I think this was the third match in a rivalry they'd had. I think they referred to that before the match. Um, and I thought it totally held up. Like, I went four and a half stars on this. I thought it was really, really good. Okay, I went four yeah. to five. What do you give it, Joe? I went four. Like, hmm. I, I would agree. It really does hold up. I think this style was really sort of coming into vogue at this point, wasn't it, if anything? I think, I think Aries and Strong aren't a tag team that I ever think of, but they had a really good reign and some really good matches during this period. Like, uh, But the, there are none that really sort of stand out, which is kind of weird in hindsight. But I think this was the Briscoes coming into their prime at this point. I think Briscoes sort of 2006 to about 2008-9, I think those were their sort of, that was their prime run as a tag team. They still felt fresh. The gimmicks still really were to that point. And I think as wrestlers, they were really athletic at that point in time. I think... As time's gone on, they're much more sort of beaten down. The gimmick is kind of old, if anything, it's kind of stale. But here, they feel, to me, completely fresh. Um, They feel quite innovative at points as well. Some of the offense here, I remember at the time, I'd never seen a a springboard doomsday leg lariat. Mm. I remember going absolutely crazy (laughs) for that at the time when they did it. And Jamesy, that reverse runner... I don't think I'd seen a reverse runner at this point. I was trying to no, think of that exactly. afterwards. I was like, was that the first reverse runner I'd ever seen? Like, yeah, I remember my mind being completely blown yeah, by that. Yeah, well. and it's yeah, stiff no, as well. Never forget it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, think for me that when I was there live, I I'll be honest. Like, and we're going to get into the main event in a bit. But I'm one of those idiots who thought this was better than the main event at the time. I remember having a conversation with Alex Shane of all people after the show, and he was screaming about this match rather than the main event. I think when we get to the main event, you're going to find that, that might be my opinion on that's flipped. Um, but yeah, maybe that just says where I was in my life at the time watching this match and this being all I wanted from wrestling. And maybe these days I want it maybe just a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, again, there were people throwing out five stars for this one at the time. Like I say, Meltzer went 4.75 for it. Um, and yeah, I think that's early. You've hit on something there. I think it's it's how good the execution is there and how good these teams were. And yeah, I'd cheer you love for, for like, for Strong and Aries. They actually had a, a very mini run in Impact as well as a tag team that was really good. But like Did for they? me, uh, yeah, when, when the Strong got into Impact for a little, while they even wore the generation next trunks for a little while i think that was the name of the team they god i've the, no memory of that at the, all we need out, jp on it oh we need the out and out <laughs> robbed that from there uh, from our i remember being at the time being a bit annoyed that they'd nicked uh, the generation next gimmick and were trying to do it in impact but yeah they were they were good there too but like for me the tag team i remember is roddy and jack evans um but yeah, yeah you, you yeah. don't kind of give roddy and uh and uh, Aries, uh, the credit, I suppose. But yeah, Rob, but yeah, Roddy, Roddy and Jack were incredible. He's, he's a, I would have loved Jack to be on the show. Him, Homicide, there were a couple of names like that missing, unfortunately. I think that the Aries and Strong's run was like a, about a year with these belts as well, if I remember right. Was it? Wow, I don't remember. I'm sure it was. I'll have a look at Cage Match in a minute just to confirm that. But yeah, I remember, I remember actually thinking at the time that Briscoe should have got the belts here because it was like the third match in the feud and it felt like it was time to to go for a title change, especially on a show like this. I remember being quite confused as to why they didn't do it at the time, but just to go back to the Briscoes. I remember some of the matches they had at this point really standing out as well. 
they went into the Steen Generico feud, which is, you know, one of my favorite feuds ever. It was the feud that probably kept me into Ring of Honor throughout sort of 2007. I remember that being an absolutely phenomenal feud full of really sort of diverse matches as well. But do you guys, did you guys have watched their Noah run in sort of 2007-ish at all? Oh, yeah. I've seen like the odd match. Do you remember the match against Ricky Marvin and Kataro Suzuki they had? Oh, that, what's, is that the one with the famous spot? Oh, yeah. The, um, yeah, the one where the Ah, oh, that yes, is one of my favourite tag matches ever to this day. I watched that a couple of years ago, yeah. and it holds up. It is a phenomenal match. Like, I'm going close to five stars on that one. Like, if you're looking for someone to watch over this uh, coronavirus lockdown period, give that one a watch again. It's phenomenal. I think the, the Briscoes don't get their due, do they? Because of, like oh. you said before, Joe, just how unfortunate. It, it's kind of admirable in some ways. They've been like one promotion guys. Like they, they've been in Rig of Honor. This is the, basically much their entire career, uh, with some obviously indie stop offs on the way. But yeah, I think that's the thing because they've been in that environment for so long. I mean, there was a point where I got bored of watching them against the Young Bucks and they were always having great matches, but it was just, yeah. ROH would always go back to that because, well, what else are you going to do? We've got these two great tag teams, so let's let's put them in there together again. And yet they've just, they're basically part of the scenery, aren't they? And the fact that, you know, obviously we all know the reasons they didn't end up in WWE um, and, you know, that might have change the, the story of the, the Briscoe's career, but yeah. even since that time, you know, when they've had maybe, you know, they'd be great in AEW to, to hype up that tag team division, but I think I, I just see them as lifers at this point. I think they're just going to be ROH to the better end, aren't they? And yeah, we're not really, so apart from like you said, you know, that maybe that mini Noah run and, you know, the times where you've seen them in odd indies around the countries, we're never really going to see the Briscoe's out of the Ring of Honor atmosphere. Yeah, I think they needed to go to WWE sometime between sort of 2010, 2012. I think they may still had a chance then. I think if they'd have gone there when NXT was sort of ramping up, yeah. they'd have really got over as well. Um, yeah, it's a shame that we never saw that run in them because I think they would have come back to the indies really fresh as well. But yeah, I, I've heard people sort of talk to them, sort of, talk about them as one of the greatest tag teams of all time before. I don't see them in that kind of bracket at all. And I think it's because they haven't had the runs in other places and they've had a really consistent Japan run either. Yeah, yeah, there are sort of of things that that go against them. And I think the long run in Ring of Honor for me goes against that, if anything, um, because they never got over anywhere else other than Ring of Honor as a result of that. Yeah, yeah. I, think I, I, I do think if if they had branched out, I don't think there's any doubt they'd be the greatest tag team of all time. Like I, I probably think of their career higher than you guys do, um, because you you take them for granted and you almost forget about them because they're tucked away in ROH, and for long periods none of us are watching ROH. But then, like any time I put on an ROH show, and they have a match. They're still great. Like, I mean, even this year alone, they, they had a match against Bandido and Flamita there a few months ago. And it's phenomenal, like really, really good. You know, and that's that's 15 years, 16 years into their run as a tag team. Like they, they, for longevity, they're up there. You know what I mean? And as mm-hmm. I said, if as you said, if they had had better runs in Japan and if they had gotten into it, like imagine if they were in, X, in NXT around the time of DIY and the revival and that. Oh, kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah, oh, they added, oh, added something oh, quite different to yeah, that uh, yeah, yeah. tag division as well at that point. Yeah, like so, it's 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 they're victims of their own 
desire to, I, I think they're happy. Just they, they work on their farm, they do their stuff, they turn up to ROH, they get paid by ROH, and they're kind of happy with the simplicity of their lives. And there's something to be admired about that, I suppose, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's a pity because I, I do think there's greatest tag team of all time potential there. Well, up next, we're going from greatest Just tag to interrupt, Ben, I, they oh, have the Generation Next of the tag team titles for 273 days. Oh, my God. The reason they didn't lose them on this show is because they lost them on what looks like the next load of shows uh, in early September to the Kings of Wrestling. Oh, interesting. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Well, think, talking, if you give me another segue there, Joe, speaking of questionable decision-making, <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have a conversation about that coming up next with our, with our main event. And, yeah, Nigel McGuinness, Brian Danielson, one of the most memorable matches I've ever seen live in my life, and there'll be reasons for that that we'll go into in a minute. Jamesy, you know, you and Alan Farrell did that, that podcast of the uh, the best mm-hmm. UK matches. This was number one, wasn't it? Is that right? It was. This was it was, and I, and I don't think he had any major contender for number two, to be honest. I think it was fairly straightforward for him that this was the best match on, on UK soil. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, go on. I'll let you go first, James. Did you did you go as far as the five stars? But what what you what you make of it watching it all these years later? Yeah, unhesitating five stars. Um, uh-huh. No problem at all going five on it. Um, at the time, the greatness of it in my head was, was the big spot, and we can get into that in the big oh. ring post spot, I suppose, towards the end of the match. And that was the thing in my head, and that was the thing we were all talking about after the show. You know what I mean? How crazy that was, and how we'd never seen anything like it, and how great it was, which was probably naive on our parts back in 2006 to be to be raving about how great it is that people would do such a thing. Um, but like watching it back and watching it with my 2020 head on, like this is bell to bell a re- just a really really great match you know what i mean it's it's i suppose you'd you'd what's great about it is that it's 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 a feud and a rivalry and like you get the feeling they hate each other but it's completely it's completely built around them wanting to show that they're the better wrestler than the other first and foremost they hate each other because they can't seem to prove that they're better than the other guy like like they've had two matches before with fairly inconclusive finishes i think the first one was a count out win that that, that nigel got over danielson one of the best and, count out wins i've ever seen that yes, yeah yes. oh yeah really well done and do you remember the finish to the second one then um it was it was again it was just for the title and um nigel does a move on Danielson and he goes outside the ring and Danielson goes underneath the ring and comes out the other side and pops back into the ring and wins him with a roll-up. Just one, one of the cleverest. Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Daniel's yeah, character just re- at that point was so great, wasn't it? It was like, that yeah. just chicken shit, but he's so exactly. good. But like a, a finish that keeps the, like it, it means you want to have another match, you know what I mean? And sometimes people find it difficult in wrestling to book, say, a trilogy of matches in such a way that, that it keeps it interesting. Like So what they did really well from match to match was inconclusive finishes and really great matches. And then they had to put it all on the line here and they had to have all the rules in place where the title could change place on count out. And if there was a double DQ, the match would continue. And like just the, the the basic wrestling in this match is incredible. You know what I mean? And like I, I get on my high horse a lot about especially in New Japan, I think, about 
there being long periods and long stretches in matches in New Japan where very little happens that's relevant to the rest of the match and very little happens to keep you engaged and then you get a stellar 10 or 15 minutes at the end and you forget how bad the first few first half of the match was this is compelling from the very beginning like the the work that Danielson does on Nigel's arm like um all you know each of the rope breaks feels like a big event in this it almost feels yeah. like a pinfall you know it feels like a big big event all three of the of the rope breaks that, that Danielson gets on Nigel goes back to the work he did on the arm at the start like there, there's an arm bar there's a cattle mutilation um and then what was the other one there was the oh the chicken wing so every time mm-hmm. he's working on that arm on so it's keeping you interested it's keeping you engaged they're telling you a story um and then you, you and we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in detail. You get that big finish then at the end as well. You, you get Nigel covered in blood, hulking up, firing up back in the ring. The emotion comes into it. So you, to, to my mind, you've got everything that you would want in a wrestling match. Really good technical wrestling. A story. It feels important. Like, the, you know, a unification match. They're getting rid of a title belt and we're getting to see it in Liverpool. It felt big. It felt important. There's a hot crowd. There's fire from Nigel there's just everything you could possibly want in a wrestling match you know yeah that's it I think I think a big thing that we'll talk about James here a lot and like we talk about on both podcasts how many times you know matches that get highly rated all people are really talking about those last five minutes like that's a real mm-hmm. I've got a real I, I, it's a real pet peeve for me where like literally like a good five minutes yeah. can wipe people's brains about what came before it yeah uh, exactly the, yeah. the thing is though in a match like this it's understandable because when that last five minutes is you know the ring post spot and it is you know the kind of the story of Brian desperately trying to trying to even get you know Nigel counted out so that he can win this thing and they're telling that story so well you can forget all the great stuff that come before it but yeah watching this back with 2020 eyes i like this more um like i said at yeah, the time I, yeah. I was a young dumb indie fan who thought the tag match was better than this like how wrong was i um i wonder whether part of it is kind of that ring post spot that i'm that i'm front row for maybe part of it's the the finish uh not so much the finish the decision uh to not go with with nigel on this night um that maybe kind of maybe you know in the live while I was there live and I appreciated that this was a great match I actually can't remember watching this back on VOD much since I maybe watched it around the time again when the DVD came out but I think this is one of the first times I've I've given it a, a second watch without maybe that emotion to hand and it has kind of changed me on it like I I'll be honest I'll say it now don't often give five stars out on Grapple I gave five stars on Grapple for this um, it, it's as good as the legend gives it, and I'm and you know, you can say it's live bias, but like I said, live in the building, I didn't like it as much as I yeah. as I like it now in 2020. So maybe that's something too. But yeah, this is just this is the this is the best Nigel match. It's one of the best Danielson matches. I don't know if I want to go as far as saying it's the best, um, but yeah, like I again, uh, as Joel know well from doing Grapple Spotlight, I can I can be <laughs> I, I can be charitable sometimes with my ratings, but I'm always a, a coward when it comes to going from four point seven five to five. <laughs> but on this one, yeah, it's a five. Uh, I don't know. Are you making a full set of us here, Joe, or what's your take on it? Oh, for me, this is undoubtedly a five-star match. For me, it was a five-star match on the 12th of August, 2006, and it's remained that to this current moment right now we're talking. like, oh, For me, this is, uh, you know, that tag match was the best match I'd ever seen live for about <laughs> half an hour. And then this blew out of the water. 
And this was the best match I ever saw live for three years. And I was at WrestleMania when Undertaker faced Michaels at WrestleMania 25. And that overtook it. And for me, this is the second, still those two matches, the best two matches I've ever seen live. Um, they're two completely different types of matches, obviously. I think, you know, the fact one was at a WrestleMania and it was between two legends of the business puts it over the top for me. But uh, this has got a special place in my heart, honestly. Like, I'm uh, sort of getting a little bit emotional talking about it now because it was just so good. And watching mm. it back, it's probably been, I said earlier on about when I watched that Jimmy Ray, Davey Richards match, the last watched this show probably about seven, eight years ago. It's been a few years since I've watched it, but I still remember so much of it from the night as well. Like, so much of it is just embedded in my brain. Um, I've been to so many wrestling shows in the past five years, and there are matches that I know are good, I can barely remember spots from the matches. Sometimes when we have to, when we do reviews on grapple, Benno, it shows I've been at live. Mm. I'm having to like read stuff back to think, oh, shit, what happened in that match? Whereas this, I can, I can still remember stuff spot for spot from the night there. I was that engaged. Oh. I was that into it. This is an absolutely amazing match. Uh, like pure emotion as well. I think Nigel at this point, I think people forget, Nigel wasn't like a made guy in Ring of Honor at this point. I think this no, is the match no. that yeah. made Nigel a player. For me, that moment where he gets in the ring after the um, ring post spot, yes. dive from Daniel Bryan, sorry, Bryan Danielson into the crowd, and then Nigel gets in the ring and essentially starts hulking up. <laughs> that for me is the moment that made Nigel yeah. because it was this sort of like over the top charisma and presence and confidence that he'd never shown before. And you always knew he was capable of it. And you saw him slowly improving. And this night covered in blood after taking some horrible abuse that he shouldn't have taken in hindsight. He's like, um, he's the man and he knows it. And he's got the crowd in the palm of his hands. There are a few people at the start of the match who seem to be on uh, the side of Brian Danielson. By the end of it, I remember just completely engaged in the kind of Nigel McGuinness struggle, the Nigel McGuinness narrative. And for me, this is what made him as a wrestler. And it's such a shame the Ring of Honor weren't able to come back more regularly and that he didn't get the belt over it because I think that would have been one of the best moments we'd ever seen wrestling wise in this country if he did end up getting the belt here. But yeah. what an unbelievable match this was. Like James, he did an amazing job there of summing it up. I think one of the things that you tied in was um, the two previous matches as well. And I thought the psychology extended further from those matches because I thought part of it was Brian being that little bit smarter and a little bit more aware than McGuinness as well. So the rope breaks, for example, I love the way that Brian works submissions intentionally to get those rope breaks out of the way uh, yeah. and sort yeah. of put them near the ropes at times. Subtle yeah. little work. It's the it's best work. Break. Yeah, it was it's, amazing. It's the best yeah. work of those rules, isn't it? Like, I'd forgotten. I mean, I knew it was a unification match, but I don't think about this as a pure title match because I hated that belt and I was never into those matches. It was never, the rules were never worked as well as Brian does in this match. Oh, yeah, it, it does it so well. And I liked Nigel's pure run. I thought Nigel did some really good stuff with the rules. I think he was a really good heel with the belt. I think he got himself over really effectively. I think he really improved while he had that belt during that reign as well. I think he beat Joe for the belt as well, which I remember being a really good match. But what I loved as well is after the rope breaks are out of the way, from that spot when Nigel was trapped under the table on the outside, the match essentially just breaks down. Mm. So it goes from this sort of like psychological warfare in the first 
in the first place where they're trying to outsmart each other to this kind of mad match where they start striking one another viciously, uh, where they just start doing stuff that's completely unpredictable and almost completely different to what they were doing at the start of the match. And I think that is one of the great things about it. Also, the molten crowd heat, the heel face dynamic here as well, just adds that extra layer to it that I just don't think we get in indie wrestling anymore. Um, if like, And when we do get it, it feels like it's between two wrestlers who aren't of anywhere close to this ability at this point in time. Like Jimmy Havoc got this kind of atmosphere in his progress matches, but it's Jimmy Havoc. You know, the <laughs> matches be any good once they start. But yeah, for me here, this was two guys at the absolute top of their game. Like James, you said what you said about the early wrestling as well, being really good. I actually said, watching this, the early wrestling is great. I've got in my notes, but in their later matches, they feel more comfortable and have more chemistry with one another when they're doing those early stages of the match so I, I don't know if you've watched their driven match or there's a match they have in Chicago I think in I want to say it's late 2007 or early 2008 I actually think the early work in those matches is better than it is in this match and I'd put five stars on both of those matches as well I really do recommend watching them back because as guys They've got possibly, I think if I was thinking of chemistry in ring, I'd go with these guys. I'd go with Undertaker and Michaels. I'd probably go Kabashi Masawa. Uh, and I'd probably go Marty and Osprey, you know, in terms of like my favorite combination of two guys who just trust one another, can read one another, and can just work off one another. And yeah, for me, these sequences and their matches get better as they go on. Well said. Yeah, it's... It is. It's a. It's a. It's a. With them two, it's kind of like that. That's that's in my brain. They're so tied together. Like you know, the fact that they even yeah. they were supposed to be signed to WWE together, and Lord knows how you know Nigel's career would have turned out that way. Anyway, but like yeah, I just I see these. I, I think of Nigel McGuinness. I think I think of Brian Danielson, and I think of Brian Danielson yeah. Ring of Honor, and I think of Nigel, and I think of this match and. Yeah, you know, I think the, a big part of it is it, it's that it's that meeting of the two things of two wrestlers who are as good as they are and the emotional connection that we all add to the match in the building. And, like, I can, you know, you mentioned there, Joe, about distinctly remembering spots from this match. As you both said, that, that finishing sequence of, well, not even finishing sequence, but towards the finish of, the, you know, the, 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 the ring post spot to the dive to the, to, to the crowd... To Nigel getting into the ring and hulking up, that will be imprinted on my brain for forever. Um, yeah. And for good and bad reasons, to be honest, because that's another thing I want to get into. Like, I think the ring post, ring post spot, like, I'll be honest, I it it was tough to be there and watch that happen. Oh, like, yeah. You yeah, can see yeah. me on the VOD, can't you? I'm literally <laughs> yeah. the closest person in the building to that spot. And, like, it was horrible to watch. It really was. Like, I, maybe I'm a... And a masochist now in 2020. I'm a bit older and I don't care anymore. But at the time, it, it I wouldn't say it took me out of the match because I was bang into it when Nigel got back into the ring and was hulking up. But it did play on my brain. Like, I, I, it, it was really, really... Like, it will be forever imprinted in my memory. It doesn't come across on the VOD, but I can hear it still. Like, the yeah, sound same, of same. Nigel's forehead yeah. hitting that metal, solid metal ring post. And he doesn't... I remember watching it kind of, like... You know, I'd been to live wrestling shows before, but like, 
I don't think I'd I'd ever seen like a hit that hard, and it kind of hit. It was like there is no work in this. There is Nigel, and this was to his downfall for his you know one of the, you know one of the reasons his career kind of ended is he did go very very hard with the strong style. He broke Jimmy Rave's jaw at one point, didn't he? And he, he you know he that did, was in Liverpool the year after. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, he he, he was yes. he went all in when he went from being pure wrestling technical guy to wanting to be a main eventer. He gave his body for it, and he did give other people's body for bodies for it as well, but especially on this night, because there was literally, that was one of the first times I'd seen a spot in a wrestling match and going, you know what, he's not even working here. He is just a man, like what, it's like it's like watching a man on the street have put a lamppost and everything that sounds like and everything that looks like, including the hard way bloods. Like, like I said, you can see me on the VOD looking like I'm about to wretch. Like, it, I, I really struggled with it at the time and it did, Again, didn't take me out of the match, but maybe it was one of the reasons that stopped me from calling it a five star match at the time. Like I've got, I've got friends like Sam Bailey, like somebody who's on ITV World of Sport, but he was a trainee at the time, and he was one of the people who took Nigel to the hospital. And I remember him telling me how bad Nigel was in the hospital and how you know horrible it was. I mean, to be fair, we picked him up on the bus the next morning, and he seemed in pretty good spirits. But he was like, you know, there's a there was a legitimate toll that match that night to, to Nigel's. Career, I would say. Uh, maybe, maybe that's dramatic. Maybe I'm getting worked, but you know, Joe, you weren't that far away either. You know, watching that thing live, and yeah, that was that was just. I, I, it, it's even it's hard to describe really, like how horrible it was being that close, but also in a guilty way, being probably ten times more into the match because of it. It's a real one that I've always struggled with. Yeah, I, I get the kind of conflict there, definitely, and it, it's weird because you're kind of to the sort of right-hand side of Nigel, aren't you? Yeah. And Brian, when it happens, I'm kind of like face-on on it, and I can picture it from the angle still mm. when it happens and sort of just being just being like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. I, and I can also remember, Benno, seeing your reaction in the moment, huh. and like your reaction said so much about it. Yeah. And like, I'll be honest, Benno, watching this back, your facial expression, I saw that and thought, how did he never make it as a wrestler? Those facial expressions <laughs> are fucking brilliant. What, what instincts and reactions? That was one of my first thoughts. But, uh, yeah, it, we we were kind of, you know, had best view in the well, worst view in the house for this, you could argue. But yeah. it's interesting because for me, it I hated it, but I also kind of respected him a lot more for it. I get what you mean. And yeah. it got me a lot more into him and his kind of journey. And like I, I remember when um he when he signed for WWE at the same time as Brian, it was almost like a fairy tale. They had their farewell match together in Ring of Honor, I remember, and it felt like the right match for them both to go out on. I was absolutely devastated when he didn't when he uh, failed his medical. Like really, really devastated. And it's weird because James he said at the top of the show about these guys signing with WWE in the UK now and Timothy Thatcher and just being like, meh, whatever. Whereas at the time, it sort of tells you how much getting signed for the WWE meant. It did, and yeah. it felt like you still had a chance at that yeah. point. Say it again. It was a big thing, wasn't it? You know, and it, yeah. it, it only happened once or twice a year, if that, like, you know what I mean? So it, they were taking the cream of the crop. Like, they're taking these two guys who are having five-star matches. They deserved to be on the big stage. And none of us begrudged them for it because of that, you know? Yeah, and I remember thinking both of these guys could be stars in WWE. Both of them could get over. I actually remember thinking, I think Nigel's got the look and the size they might be after and the yeah. promo ability and the personality, but he might be able to tone his style down as well and he needs to do that. 
And yeah, it was devastating when he when he uh, failed his medical. I think it was probably the most devastating for a wrestler of the bin. I remember when he released that documentary as well. There's a great scene in that where uh, I think it's the day that he finds out he's got hepatitis B. Mm. Daniel Bryan wins the world title for the first time oh, and sends yeah, him a text yeah. telling him, and you're like, Jesus Christ! Like this is like. Uh, a yin and yang sort of story in some way and uh, the, the direction one guy's career went and the other went. It, yeah, it was kind of devastating. And I remember being so invested in that documentary as well. I remember he was after um, donations. Uh, what do you call, I'm trying to think of the, the, the website. Like GoFundMe or something like that. Kickstarter. Yeah, the GoFundMe. I remember giving yeah. like 10, 20 quid to that as well at the time. I really wanted to see the documentary uh, because I was still invested in him as a, as a wrestler. And when I think back, I think for me, Will Ospreay is number one British wrestler ever. I think Zack Sabre Jr. is probably number two. But I think Nigel challenges him for number two in my mind, especially that kind of last run of his career, even the first few months of his TNA run, where I I think he was so good, so motivated when he turned up there. And it was such a shame that Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff came and ruined that. But yeah, I loved Nigel after this. And it got me so invested in kind of his journey and where he was going to get to. Do you think he should have gone with Nigel here? Like you're the big, I think you're probably the biggest Nigel guy here, Joe. I know you're a big Nigel fan as well, Jamesy. Should should this have been his title? I mean, like you said, Joe, he wasn't a top guy in Ring of Honor at this point. This made him a top guy. Maybe they thought giving him the belt was too strong, but I did. I, I think it's more the fact that they have Brian cut that promo after the match and talk about giving Nigel one last chance, and that one last chance has happened in some fucking show in America, and it's not happening. In Liverpool, it just felt like a, a misread of the room, to be honest, because there were uh, some negative reactions in the in the yeah. room to that. <laughs> Speaking so of the for VOD, me, <laughs> for me, yeah, we'll go to that in a second. For me, it probably shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been announced there. They were doing that match. Yeah. But I thought to myself, because this was like like Nigel wasn't like we say a made guy at this point. This made him. And it felt like it was the the sort of the first big mark for him at this point in time. And it felt like they should have come back six months later and put the belt on him. I think the plan was, because they came back six months later and he faced Joe. And that was an amazing match as well. And he, I think he faced Jimmy Ray the next night. And then they were meant to come back, I remember, six months later. And the show where he beats Morishima for the belt in the US was meant to be in the UK. And apparently that match was meant to be at York Hall. And he was supposed to win the belt in London. But there was something that happened with Alex Shane. I think Alex Shane was meant to be the local promoter for those shows. But Alex Shane got a better offer from TNA, I remember hearing. Uh, This this might not be true. I don't know. I've heard that too. The rumour was he got a better off from TNA, so he ditched whatever he was doing with Ring of Honor and went off with TNA, and then Ring of Honor decided not to promote the show over here for whatever reason and decided to just put the belt on Nigel in America. And I think that was a huge mistake on their part because I think knowing that he was in a title match was basically going to get the belt in London, I think that would have drawn a, a really good number for him, especially mm. with that kind of Nigel journey that was going on, the investment that a lot of people had in that at the time. And yeah, it's such a shame that it just happened on a kind of nothing show. And was it like a high-o or somewhere it ended up happening? Yeah. yeah, it was It was a shame. But yeah, it felt like they should have probably done it six months later, if anything, to, for me. 
Can I just make one last point that, that kind of ties into that about who should have won or who not? Mm. I, was watching, I was watching the match back uh, the other night and the thought came into my head that this match is ROH's version of Austin Brett at WrestleMania. If you think oh, about it. Oh, yeah. That's a great all, comparison. You think about it like like there's technical wrestling in that match, which you get here, but it's it's Brett working on Austin's leg. Um, it's a seminal match in both men's career. Like you think about Austin and Brett, probably the best match that both men ever had. Um, like Nigel literally passes out in a pool of blood in the middle of the ring. Yeah. And in doing so, he becomes a massive baby face and it elevates him to superstardom in the company. That's exactly what happened with Austin at WrestleMania. And like, you know, you talk about a comparison like Danielson, the killer heel, like he turned Brett turns heel in that match as well. And that, that whole match cements Danielson as this remorseless technician who literally will do anything to win him. Like, look what he did to Nigel to hold on to that t- to title, you know. So if you talk about guys, what was the best result of the match? I don't have a huge r- problem with how the match turned out because it elevated both of them. You know what I mean? We got Danielson continuing on as champion and he was a great champion, but it brought Nigel up to the main event level. So like nobody comes out of that match diminished. Yes, maybe the moment of seeing Nigel winning the title would have been nice, but like as a piece of wrestling business and as a piece of wrestling storytelling and as a match that propelled two wrestlers down a different path, it's up there with Austin Brett as one of the great pieces of storytelling that I can think of. Oh, I completely agree. But you know what else has got as well, which Austin Brett has? I think that Austin Brett is a match about their instincts as well. And I thought yeah. both guys' instincts in this were so good. Like, Brian is such an instinctive wrestler. And I thought this was the best of a bit. But also, it's a match that elevates both guys. And it's a work of art. But it also feels really raw. And I think the raw feeling of the match as well gives it that something extra. You think about those NXT matches that we're supposed to think are classics these days and how scripted and mm. sort of laid out to an inch of their like overproduced to an inch of their life, they feel. This doesn't feel in any way overproduced. It feels so raw and it's so much better for that sort of raw element and the fact that they can use their instincts as wrestlers in the match, play off the crowd read the crowd and my god did it work yeah it's one for me like to, to, to your point james who were like i think the match itself is a five-star match and it's better because it's a tragedy there's an argument for it's yeah, probably high like it is it is yeah like a romantic tragedy is the way i've heard mm. that one being put like it there's there's something to that like and i think it, i think it'd be a worse match almost if nigel won from a booking point of view, there's an argument, but it, I think, like Joe said, it's a retrospective argument, isn't it? It's they probably thought they were going to get another chance to go with Nigel, um, and you know that, or maybe do like a big London one, or do do something else. Maybe that that maybe we can forgive them on that point. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting because yeah, the, the crowd in the building on the night don't love it. <laughs> it is a weird for this like seminal show. Like, it does feel like some people almost were going home unhappy. Uh, chief of which uh, I couldn't help but notice on the uh, on the VOD, there was a, there was a young lad to the uh, to the right of me, front row, who was <laughs> really... Speaking of your, your, your Nigel McGuinness fan to me, Joe, uh, what, what a difference that makes, because uh, there's, a, there's a moment there, isn't there, where uh, well, Daniel Bryan's in the ring and he gets uh, he gets hit by a stray object. Is, uh, any, any thoughts on that? Any, uh, anything you want to say? Look, mate, I'm I'm just a great shot at the end of the day. 
You know, I got him square on the head where I was aiming. You know, you must have been human. Like, you look it in the VOD. You look. You and Joe Mills are going back and forth talking to you. That I'd love to know what you're saying. Oh, he was off. He was offering us out. He was offering us to get in the ring and all sorts. So I was, yeah, yeah, I remember. He looked fucking angry as well. I remember being like. But I remember not being scared. I think I'd be shitting myself a wrestler off of me out in the <laughs> ring these days. But I think the adrenaline was flowing at that point. That I was just like, oh, yeah, you fucking come down here, mate. And to say I'm an art man, you know, <laughs> not it's, in any way whatsoever. It's quite a dainty uh, throw as well. It's like it's thrown as if like Joe Mills has talked you into it. And you're kind of into it, but you're a bit scared that you're going to hurt him. So you kind of just give it like a, a nice little like, like, underarm. <laughs> Look, why would I be throwing aggressively when I can throw some accuracy? It's like placing a penalty rather than just belt, rather than like Chris Waddles in 1990, you know? I was finding the bottom corner there, and, it, you know, it was on target, and it worked. But I wasn't the only one throwing stuff at the ring. When I, watching this back, there are other items that are going into the ring. None of them hit him. I was the only one that hit him, so, you know... <laughs> I should be getting a commendation for that, if anything. Uh, that's going to live on forever. Oh, you said Joe Mills is the graphics guy, and he, yeah, he's made the gift for that. I'll be busting that out on Twitter again this week, because uh, it's just perfect. I don't think I ever knew that. I don't think I... Until, like... Uh, oh, did, oh, did that come up again? Did, did Joe rewatch it on Twitter? I think that's what it was. Uh, Joe Mills rewatched it and put the video on Twitter. I mean, uh, I think that's... Uh, <laughs> you've been keeping this dirty secret all this time, Joe, that you were the man with the bottle. Uh, ah, you know, Joe Daniel Lennon. Bryan's probably my favourite wrestler ever. So, wow. I, I, I he fucking loved that as well. I guarantee you. Exactly. He went back and he said, I had them throwing bottles at me and he was delighted with it. So you, you, you did great work, Joe. Fair play to you. Mate, it's a job well done. And I would like to think it was the cherry on the icing, on the cake <laughs> of a job well done. And for him, it was confirmation of what a great job he'd done that night. Exactly. And what awesome. heat he'd got that night. And yeah, oh, yeah it, it, this will always have a place. If I was doing like a desert island discs or something of like a desert desert island graps, let's say, yeah. this would be on there for me. Oh, definitely, hundred percent. Is it the best match you've ever seen in person, Benno? No, it's Joko Joko Bashi for that one. Sorry, mate, oh, I'm okay. spoiled. I'm spoiled. <laughs> I love that I've got that choice that I can be like, well, you know, it's probably Joko Bashi. Drangate Six Man was great too, but I wasn't uh, as big on that as uh, as maybe some others. Uh, yeah, Joko Bashi's got to be the one for me. I can't yeah. think of anything better than that. Ah, that's uh, fair enough. That's that, that's 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 a that's a worthy that's a worthy winner for you. It's definitely <laughs> mine. Some of that ROH, some of that OTT stuff there in the last while. And me Star Devlin, mate. Ooh, no, yeah. this is better. This is, having rewatched, I hadn't rewatched this in a good few years, and I was having second thoughts when I saw those OTT matches. But this, this is better. I think this is just. Uh, I, I don't even know how to separate them. Just the importance of this, and just everything about it. There, there's, there's just nothing you can fault in this match. Like it's just bell to bell perfect. Yeah, that's it. And I totally agree. And it took me, well, 14 years to come round to it. But yeah, I'm finally not a coward. I've gone five on it. And yeah, it is. It is <laughs> perfect. But you know, if just I was going to be melted, well, I'd give, if I was going to be melted, I'd give Joe Kabashi six. But you know, that's just me. What was that joke? <laughs> just to add as well, I was there when Nigel lost the belt as well. Uh, 
And I was there. For, did you ever see that Kent and Nigel match where he's basically wrestling with no arms? Yes. Oh, yeah. He was in I was way, there yeah. for that as well. So I lived in the New Yorker hotel for a brief period. Brilliant. It makes me sound like I'm some like high flying like executive in New York. New Yorker hotel has student accommodation. I lived in the student accommodation in the New Yorker hotel, which I couldn't believe because the day that I found out that I got this internship, I mo- I found out I was living in a New York hotel. I was like, what the fuck? I'm living in the place that joe kabashi this is weird uh and the floor below me there was a floor that linked to the manhattan center and the hammerstein ballroom like i could go down there and i could walk into the ball it was so odd like when i think back and there was one ring of honor show that went on while i lived there and it was the nigel kenter show where nigel just looked like he was in absolute agony like managed to get a really good match out of it but it was yeah it was hard to watch but that jerry lynn match where he loses the belt i was really annoyed like i wasn't into ring of honor at the time i'd stopped watching it i sort of was keeping an eye on it but jerry lynn being <laughs> not, like think of the star nigel oh. is here and you put jerry lynn over him to to end that reign like Terrible. Kerry uh, watched the wrestler, didn't he? And was like, let's do that. Yeah. That's basically uh, what happened. Who else was? There yeah, must have been someone else to fit the bill. Like, when you think Randy the Ram, you don't go, ah, Jerry Lynn. Who does that? I think Jake Roberts. <laughs> like, who, who do people think of when they watch? Like, Jerry Lynn is not the guy that comes to buy. And I remember being really annoyed at the end of that match. And it felt like Nigel's career was kind of, I don't know, it felt like that was kind of it at that point. It was, it was sad. Yeah, that's it. He paid the price for kind of the performance he gave in the couple of years before, wasn't it? That's what it was. But hey, at least, Joe, you got to go to bed. Pretty, You could just literally go back upstairs and go to bed. So uh, I'd enjoy that, living in a venue where there's a, a Ring of Honor show going on downstairs. <laughs> That'd be the win. Um, I think that was a good after party that night as well. I don't know, if it, don't know if it was an after party with wrestling fans, if it was an after party with people I lived with in the uh, hotel. So, yeah, it was a good night. Well, speaking did of you, after- Did you go? Yeah, I was, I was going to ask the same question. <laughs> Did you guys go to the after party for this? Yeah, I didn't, you know, because I think because I was wanting to be up early in the morning for the uh, for the bus. I think I'm pretty sure I went straight back. I definitely because it was next door in the uh, the Grafton, that famous. It's famous in Liverpool for being the Grabber Granny Club, um, and it's what <laughs> it's what you imagine it is when I say that phrase. It's like literally throughout the '90s and the early 2000s, it was a venue where you would go. This is literally next door to the Olympia. You would pay, I think it was £15 entry, and you, it was all you could drink all night. Yeah. That, that was the gimmick. Amazing. Uh, I believe yeah, they I, did that I, for I, the ROH as well. Did you go, did you? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to it. And honestly, one of the best nights of my life. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, I think it was 20 quid on the door. And then all you can drink. And like, this is this is me back in 2006, like young and free, no responsibilities, like a young Irish man over on his holidays for a couple of nights. I got my money's worth on my 20 quid that night, I tell you. Oh, my <laughs> God. And it was it was like the wrestlers were just mingling. There was no there was no separation of them. They were literally just mingling with everyone. And they were actually all really nice. I don't know. Maybe were they all completely pissed? But like the funny thing was Nigel arrives back in about halfway through the night. So they didn't like we talk about concussions now and about the the, the checks that hospitals will do. They must have just given him a quick look over in hospital and sent him out because he did. <laughs> he came back. He came back to the after party and was just drinking bottles of beer, no problem at all, oh and chatting God. away to people very lucidly. And like, but like, I remember looking at the guy, like, and he had these three massive lumps, like literally the size of eggs on his head, and he was standing there. And even back in two thousand and six, I'm thinking to myself, 
like this isn't right that he's in a nightclub drinking beer after <laughs> after a, a clearly suffering a massive concussion only a couple of hours earlier, you know. But that was really good. Like even Austin Aries, a guy who gets an awful lot of bad press, was really pleasant, really chatty, talked away, no problem at all. I remember I was trying to convince Roderick Strong to give me chops and he wouldn't do it. <laughs> all, all kinds of shenanigans going on. But it was, it was real good fun. I remember just having a really great night. And all the locals loved me because, you know, the way Liverpool is, is a half Irish city. Like the oh, minute they like, they were like, I remember I was in the toilet at one point and some guy comes over and goes like, who are you? What are you doing around here? And I was thinking, oh God, like I'm in trouble here. The minute he heard the Irish accent, oh, he was my best friend for the night. Great chats and everything. It was brilliant. <laughs> great, great, great night altogether. Uh, I bet you had like a third cousin's auntie who was from Dublin. Or, you know, it's oh, always like, everyone here's got a story. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So you can imagine the head on me the next again, like two or three hours sleep again in the in the hostel, and then back up then for our, our little trip the next day, Benno. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I got to see the uh, the, the the aftermath of this party uh, the next morning because <laughs> fuck me, um, uh, I have to deal with the remains of the wrestlers because yeah, the morning after was the uh, was the famous bus trip. So yeah, anyone listening to this who's made it this far to three hours or so on the timer yeah this is where i guess we can tell the famous story finally james do you think we built it up too much do you think we've uh I think we probably have but, but i think we can't let people down now at this stage i think we're gonna to have to go and do it i was gonna say yeah should we do a tease like oh yeah tune in in two weeks and you can uh, hear us tell a story no i what it is for anyone who doesn't know like again like i can mention that gone over to America, so I've become relatively friendly with, you know, the likes of Carrie Silkin. Gabe had given me a lift back from one of the Philadelphia shows once, Jamesy. He gave me a lift to, like, the, me, me and my mate Paul, who used to uh, travel with me to uh, to these types of shows. He came to America with me. He came to Joe Kabashi with me. And after the uh, you know the Philadelphia show, the uh, the Joe Kabashi tag with, uh, with, with oh, Loki yeah. and yeah. Homicide, yeah, Gabe gave us a, li- a lift back to the, I think it was to the bus station. And he gave us, like, a, a whirlwind trip of, like, the, the local landmarks. He was like, have you ever seen the Rocky Steps? And we go and no, and he go there they are, and he pointed to them through the window. That was my uh, my whirlwind tour of Philadelphia, and I will say that Gabe's car was full of McDonald's wrappers in the back of that car. Tell you what, uh, that car needed the glue cleared out. Uh, nice bloke though, but yeah, through those um, connections, through meeting Gabe and through meeting Carrie, and through mainly through meeting Sid, um, who was kind of one of the ROH back office guys. Like, I managed to land myself in organising fan travel uh, for this show. Like, I posted on the ROH board, like, uh, and I thought to myself, well, how the fuck am I going to get from Liverpool to Broxbourne, which was the random as fuck venue for the second night and the, the, the second shows, or at least it felt random to me being a, a hardcore northerner. Um, and I just thought to myself, yeah, I'll organise a bus for fans. And before I knew it, Sid had tapped me up. Uh, and I was about maybe about a month before the show. I met Sid and Alex Shane at the Olympia, and they had this brilliant idea of you know the way you're giving these fans a lift from Liverpool to Broxbourne on this bus. Well, what do you think about taking the wrestlers as well? So they basically tasked my what would have been at that that year 22, 22 year old idiot self with being entirely responsible for transporting the entire Ring of Honor roster with the exception of I believe Nigel and Colt Cabana who were I think they were off doing like a Brit Res Hall of Fame thing somewhere else but the Danielson int- I think oh yeah and Danielson that's what it was yeah, yeah. So, so maybe Nigel well I did see Nigel at the hotel maybe he was on the bus but yeah I was responsible for the rest of the roster though and getting them down there I think back now and think I could have just been some chancer who'd invented that he'd, he'd, he'd hired a bus <laughs> put a thread on the ROH board I had a load of people like you send me 30 quid to 
Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then I could have just done a run with the money, but yeah, they 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 trusted me for that. Yeah. That was actually we mentioned earlier about like our first interactions. Uh, I think our first interaction was probably on the bus itself, but our first uh, interaction online was you uh, you and me going back and forth on the old email, uh, Jimmy. So sort of, uh, yeah. <laughs> you had broken the news to those of us on the bus that there were going to be wrestlers on it, and you swore us all to secrecy. Mm. And I remember I used the incredibly cringeworthy line back to you in a message that I, I was marking out so much at the thought of being on a bus with these wrestlers. <laughs> uh, like, oh, what was I thinking? Oh. Where were you, Joe? How come you didn't get my bus? Um, I didn't go to the second show. I think I, I, you know what? Maybe I couldn't. I didn't want to call in sit for work two days oh. in a row or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like when I'm thinking back, like I know that I had to get a really early bus back. Um, and all I remember about the next day was you ringing me better while mm. I was on the bus because someone dropped out the sh- someone dropped out and they couldn't make the show and there was a spare ticket that you offered me for three. Oh wow! And I remember answering the phone to you were like half seven in the morning, but just sort of in a bit of a daze and being kind of like, ah, oh, fuck, because I was already on the bus, so I probably would have gone. Oh, uh, if I'd have known beforehand. But yeah, you know, well, I didn't really miss out much. I-, I wish I was on that bus. It sounds like a cracking journey but oh. yeah all i remember is i stopped in stoke on this bus on the way back and we stopped at a quick save and it was <laughs> the last time i ever saw and went in a quick save oh i'm good for the <laughs> that. i'd forgotten that element of the story yeah that, that you yeah we offered you the ticket because i ended up with loads of spares to the show i think alex shane printed my tickets twice so i had about eight tickets to the to the broxbourne show um but yeah that's good that you weren't there because yeah obviously chris from malta was there james and you were there and yeah the uh, the morning after they, they basically put all the wrestlers in like I think it was Witness, which is miles out of Liverpool City Centre. That was another thing I remember at the time. Alex Shane getting in touch with me and Sib from ROH trying to ask if I knew any good hotels in Liverpool to put the wrestlers up in. And again, being a 22-year-old idiot, I didn't. So they ended up putting them up in this random Witness. It was either a travel lodge or a Premier Inn. And yeah, me and me mate Paul uh, got up early. We must have rang you, Joe, at the time we got up. Uh, that John McHero with the ROH tattoo from the board uh, went to the Olympia and like gathered the, the likes of James and the other fans and me and Paul went and picked up this bus travelled with the two bus drivers uh, down to uh, down, down to like the wrestler hotel and witness and then we got there and it was just like Everything, everything. Maybe an an Alex Shane organized trip like this would go like the wrestlers had no fucking idea who we were. They had no fucking idea that we were going to be knocking on their hotel door at seven in the morning or half seven in the morning, whatever time it was in the morning. And to say they weren't happy was an understatement. I can just, <laughs> I can distinctly remember me and me made Paul getting there and just kind of looking around, going, right, there's no wrestlers here, and there was like one random guy who must have been like an FWA guy. I wonder, I wouldn't have recognised him at the time. I always wonder whether it was Mark Sloan or somebody like that. And I think he gave us a bit of a hand, but we literally had to go room to room. Bearing in mind, they'd been in that nightclub with Jamesy at the Grafton until three, four in the morning, knocking on all the wrestlers' doors and getting them out of bed. Like I remember Jimmy Rave flipping out and being fuming that we were knocking on his door so early. We had to get the Briscoes out of bed. 
there were certain wrestlers who had uh, some girls that they may have uh, picked up at the uh, at the Grafton the night before, James. Either some girls of uh, you know when I said grab a granny, those type of girls were uh, in a couple of the wrestlers' rooms. They had to get rid of the girls. Oh, honestly, Nigel turned up at one point. I think Nigel was uh, going off to that Hall of Fame thing, but we did see him in the morning and after, and he seemed in pretty good spirits considering he you know clearly had a concussion and had been drinking all night. Uh, but yeah, it was a fucking, it was a surreal experience. I remember like Matt going to Matt Seidel and going, "Oh, can you, can you help me get the wrestlers?" And he was like, "No." I was like, "All oh, right." And, he, and, he, and I was like, "Oh, by the way," and I, remember, I went to, him, "Oh, by the way, has, has anybody told you that the um, this was a bus for wrestlers and fans?" And he was like, "No, fuck that." And I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a long bus journey." But like, my biggest memory, James, and you could probably fill in this bit is like after we managed to corral the wrestlers and get these hungry, hungover wrestlers onto this bus, I was driving quite the distance to the Olympia because again they'd have them staying like out in the middle of nowhere and me grabbing all you guys outside of the Olympia and making very sure that these drunk hungover wrestlers were on one side of the bus at the very back and all of you smart marks I made sure you sat in the front because I was like fuck me I'm not having any intermingling going on between these groups right now oh yeah yeah no they did and there was there was a reasonably respectful divide yeah. uh, between us and them. Like they basically stuck to themselves. They didn't. They but like, they just walked past us and didn't even acknowledge us as they got onto the bus. Like it was very much like for fuck's sake, we're stuck on the bus with these guys, and we were all talking excitedly about like Noah and about you know how great the match was last night and all this kind of thing. And they're just looking at us, going, "Oh my god, <laughs> look at these guys!" Like, um, do you remember the ginger tosser? Oh, I do. I remember him. He was the main reason why I made sure I kept his him and yeah. his mate. There was like just these two guys who were just you know the the loud Brit Res fans you can imagine that would fit into twenty twenty progress. Uh, yeah, they were they were desperate to talk to the wrestlers. I literally oh. had to stand like a human shield in the middle of the bus and protect the wrestlers at the back from this impromptu six hour bus journey meet and greet starting up. He was he was this kid, and even when we were gathered at the Olympia. Um, waiting for you to come along on the bus. There was about five or six of us, and it was freezing cold. I was dying of a hangover, and this kid had a had a bag of weed with him, and he was he 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 couldn't stop telling us about how he shared his weed with the Briscoes outside the nightclub last oh. night. <laughs> and then, oh. and, was it JP? The <laughs> big ginger. He was only about eighteen, and he the big ginger had a hair, and then he proceeded to try and roll a joint in front of all of us, just showing off and being the big man. <laughs> The worst looking joint that I've ever seen in my life. Smokes this thing, takes about two or three drags out of it. What, 7am? And, and then has to run around the side of the Olympia and pukes his ring up because he's clearly not used to smoking weed and he's probably barely smoked weed in his life. It was just the most hilarious. I remember all of us, like none of us knew each other really that well, but we all bonded in our dislike of this fella. Like, And it was so funny to see this guy retching and puking around the side of the Olympia at 7am just because he was trying to impress <laughs> us. That's amazing. <laughs> See, I didn't know that element of the story, but yeah, they were yeah. they were tough going because I remember on the bus, like about an hour in, like you could see the wrestlers at the back of the bus was struggling, and I can't remember which one of them it was that came up to him was like, "How long's this journey?" I remember being like, "Yeah, it's about six hours." And I think I think it might have been Prince Nana, and he just kind of looked at me like, "Are you fucking joking?" Like, and in the end, I think I ended up. I think we had like a break 
planned for halfway through and I talk the driver into stopping her at a service is probably about an hour into the journey just to give the wrestlers some uh, some rest but yeah I mean, if you've the one thing you, you really missed there Joe was, was getting off and taking them to a British service station and watching the Briscoe brothers try and work out what the fuck was going on <laughs> with the food at this Briscoe it was like full English breakfast they were looking at it with the way you would look at it today Joe in 2020 and it was probably about 15 quid at being at a service station as well to say the uh, the rest weren't impressed with it would say the least wouldn't it James oh, and they, yeah, you, they should have got themselves against us or something in the WH Smiths <laughs> <laughs> they really should. I, I remember I remember Prince Nana was the most I literally have never seen a man so hungover as Prince Nana was mm. and when we got to this service station he just sat at this picnic table outside and literally just sat at this thing and had his head his forehead down on the wooden table and made somebody go in to buy him food and he was just just in a very very bad way and again our ginger haired friend trying yes. to go over and make small talk to him and you having to literally physically pull him away from Prince Nana before somebody <laughs> killed him oh, it was just <laughs> It really was. It was like like I was twenty two year old parents at that point trying to protect the rest from these these smart. Was it the same fella that was bothering Gabe with the Rob Feinstein question the day before? I'd love for it to be. I, I hope so. Exactly. He was ginger. <laughs> he was ginger and loud. Oh, that probably was. But probably was. He was uh, just so into impressing everyone, and just we all had a common enemy basically on the bus <laughs> after that. It was it, it bonded the rest of us together. It was really good team bonding thing because we all had somebody to hate after that. Then oh, I hope he's not a listener. Fourteen years later, maybe he's grown up and he's sitting there cringing right now listening to this. Hopefully, he is. yeah. Uh, speaking <laughs> of uh, interaction on the bus, we did have a there was a restless court going on at the back of the bus, wasn't there, James? I'm not sure what the uh, what, what the reason was for the wrestlers court. I assume it was something that happened uh, in the Grafton the night before. But yeah, we had a, a fun interaction with Matt Seidel. Yes, we did. Are you going to tell this or am I? <laughs> oh, I've thrown that to you there, James. I'm letting you take the ball on this one. I've said enough. <laughs> I, I feel like Matt Seidel was, was the young was the youngest wrestler of the group. Yeah. Wasn't he like he was kind of, he'd only broken in recently enough and he was kind of the guy they were picking on and that kind of thing. But whatever the reason for wrestler, then you'll have to help me out here and make sure mm. I have this right. And you can always edit it afterwards if I say too much. <laughs> um, they made Matt Seidel walk up and down the bus with his pants around his ankles, saying over and over. Um, I was with a young girl last night in my hotel room and she had her finger up my ass. And he had to say that over and over walking up and down the, the bus. Yeah, and then he came back later on. He was like, oh, he, he did the same thing. He was like, yeah, I was with a girl in the hotel last night and she put two fingers up my ass. And then he walked past <laughs> the back of the bus and the wrestlers in the back of the bus were pissing themselves. I don't know the context. All I know is two fingers was literally a chant uh, at the show that night that I'm assuming maybe the ginger lad started, unless it was you, Jamesy. Uh, but that thing got no. over. I think I would have been too shy to do that, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, fuck knows what Matt Seidel did with that poor girl or what happened in the air in the Grafton, but yeah, his, his punishment was to embarrass himself in front of us. Uh, fuck me. So yeah, that was fun. Oh, that was the greatest thing ever. Like, I remember talking to, there was a couple of Irish lads, and like every time I'd see them at OTT, the first thing we'd talk, say to each other is Matt Seidel and hold up two fingers at each other. <laughs> this is like 10, <laughs> ten years later. Amazing. <laughs> uh, the, the other big memory is like when we, we finally got the bus to Broxbourne after the, 
hellish six-hour journey. The thing was as well, I think they promised me with the money I paid that we were going to have a, um, a DVD player back then. And we were going. My plan was to throw a load of Dragon Gate on, I think, in ROH. I bet the wrestlers would have loved that. Uh, but we didn't have any entertainment, unfortunately, for the journey. But yeah, I remember when we got to the venue, the bus driver pulled out the front, and it was right at like the fan entrance, and the wrestlers just refused to get off the bus. Like the wrestlers were just like, we're not getting off here with all these fans outside. And I was, I had to be like, oh, sorry guys, can you, uh, to the bus drivers, can you maybe drive around the back? I remember thinking at the time, you prima donnas, you only work for Ring of Honor. Unbelievable. Um, we eventually managed to, uh, to get them off the bus. Prince Nana was very nice and a couple of the guys were a bit more chatty than others, the likes of uh, Matt Seidel and Roddy Strong and that. But yeah, we managed to get them there. But again, fuck knows why they, they put that, that massive responsibility in the hands for me. And yeah, we, uh, I think you, you and some of the lads from the bus went to the, the local pub, didn't you, James? Yeah, I went to the venue and picked up my, uh, my freebie tickets. And yeah, I think the, the other big memory for me is, is meeting up with you and, and literally going to stock up with toilet paper from the local supermarket <laughs> just to make sure we, we toilet paper Jimmy Rave, right? I reckon I walked into that venue with about 50 toilet rolls <laughs> under my arm. Uh, the bus, the bus drivers were especially bemused by why there were so many wrestling fans in there with toilet rolls. <laughs> And like you picture this, like Broxbourne is a really sleepy little village as well, like with not an awful lot happening. Mm-hmm. And this was a Sunday afternoon. And like we, we had we'd had a fair few pints in the pub as well. Like we got there fairly early. And so we were kind of half pissed. Mm-hmm. And we all marched down about eight or nine wrestling fans en masse into this place and pretty much bought every bit of toilet paper they had in the whole place. <laughs> and, and the poor girl, like there was literally just one check I was working. So a queue of us of nine people. And I remember Drew, who was with us, I'm sure he's listening. Hi, Drew, um, was starting to explain to the girl why we needed all the toilet paper. And we were like, no, 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 <laughs> don't, don't tell the truth. The truth is far more. <laughs> The truth of why we need this toilet paper is far more embarrassing and complicated than anything she has in her head about us at the moment. So just oh. let her just let her kind of imagine what we needed for rather than telling her. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, that's a like a, that, that that's just wrestling all over, isn't it? Like it it it's it's harder to explain than it is to just let it go. I think I, I tried to explain it to the bus driver, but it didn't quite work out. Uh but yeah, I do remember just that's my main memory of that Broxbourne show, to be honest, because it was a real nothing show. And I just remember being sat there in my quote unquote front row ticket, which was really a front row seat on the bleachers, and having literally fifty rolls of toilet paper in front of me to the point when Jimmy <laughs> Rave eventually did come out, there were literally fans coming over and just stealing my toilet paper and throwing it themselves <laughs> um, yeah there's not much else to say about that show though is it like it was a no. it was fun that it was a two day adventure and we got to do the bus trip but I think they were advertising it all the way through Unified as being like ROH versus you know the world kind of show but yeah, it was such a house yeah. show like the main events Rod- Roddy Strong and Brian which sounds great but they'd done that match to death at that point yeah. uh, and yeah, no one believed one. Roddy was winning yeah there wasn't much on the show was there no, and what happened was like um, we forgot to mention it during the talk of the show. Austin Aries broke his ribs really badly during that Briscoe's match, That's so right. they had to completely throw the they had to completely um, make the card from start again. So Brian ended up wrestling twice. He wrestled Sua and Roddy in the main event, mm. um, and I remember. I actually got to see a classic Gabe, Gabe hissy fit. Like we were all kind of standing around the foyer of this tiny venue. It was like a little civic center kind of. Um, and I just remember him having a hissy fit with somebody who was working them. Like he was really stressed because he had to totally do the card from scratch overnight after, after everything that had happened. And I just remember him having a hissy fit with somebody who was working the merch table. And I, I can always say I got to see a classic Gabe Sapolsky hissy fit <laughs> live and in person. And it was quite the sight to behold, I can tell you. 
Amazing. There you go. We all need a story like that. You ever seen one, Joe? Uh, do you, have you actually seen this show, Joe? Did you ever go back and watch it? Yeah, no, I watched it at the time. Um, I didn't buy the DVD. I found another means of watching it. And <laughs> the other means that I found of watching it, I busted out my uh, ancient hard drive, which is like, you know, stepping into a time warp whenever I plug that in. And it was still on there. And I was going to try and have a, cup, a little watch of a couple of the matches on there. Uh, before we recorded but uh i me and my governor ended up having a barbecue this evening so it was quite nice and it took a bit of preparation so mm. i prioritized uh the steak i ate this evening which was <laughs> was delicious vince mcmahon would have approved uh ahead of uh watching some of this back but i remember watching it at the time and thinking i kind of wish i was there but it's not an amazing show. I remember the oh. Matt Seidel and Davey Richards versus the Briscoes match being really good fun. I yeah. remember really liking Brian Suwa. But other than that, I remember it being a pretty sort of nothing show. Very much a Ring of Honor B show, if anything. Um, I was always just wondering why the fuck it took place in Broxbourne, if I'm honest. Yeah, it was such an odd choice because it's just a... It's a t- not tiny venue, and it was like a regular Brit Res Horns at that point, but it was a lot smaller than the capacity they were doing for, for the Olympia. It was completely the arse at other end of the country, and there were lots of fans like us travelling down. I get it, because, you know, you want your Southern fans to have somewhere to go to as well. But, but do London, like, yeah. do some. Where there are prop. This is the thing that um, the likes of Alex Shane, I think, really overlook when they do stuff like this. Do someone with proper transport links. All right, you're going to have to pay a little bit more for a venue, but surely you're going to get more people if you pay for somewhere where there are decent transport links. It's somewhere you can have a bit of a day out at the same time. Broxport is not that place. No. It was such a stupid choice for a venue. I, yeah. I never got it. 400 capacity as well. Just an odd one. It had a nice garden outside, didn't it, James? I can say that for it. But other than that, yeah, it was uh, yeah. very much a house show, that, uh, that second one. And yeah, Nigel's follow-up to that match with Brian was a six-man with him teaming with Colt Cabana and Robbie Brookside against Chad Collier and the Kings of Wrestling. Like, yeah, it was just odd. Non-canon. And yet, if anybody is rushing back to watch some retro ring of honor after listening to this podcast, it's, it, it's absolutely one you can skip. Um, I suppose we've gone very long, lads. <laughs> anything, anything else Fucking hell, I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll revisit Retro ROH in some form, whether it be here or or Grapple at some point. But I don't know. Any closing thoughts? What a time to be alive, lads! I'm glad. That, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad that uh, we all, in our various ways, reconnected all these uh, these years later. Oh, yeah. uh, well, again, real important show in my fandom and in my life. And yeah, I've got I've got plenty of uh, friends to uh, to show for it from that show. Uh, not just you guys or the guys like uh, like our mate Chris from Malta and uh, many other people uh, that I met over that weekend too. Oh yeah, and like I, I would say this is the most fun I've had doing a podcast maybe ever. This has been like <laughs> as as we've as we've been talking, like two or three new things have come into my head that I hadn't even thought about before the podcast happened. So absolutely <laughs> brilliant, guys! Really, really great to revisit it all. And as I said, fantastic that such a thing happened that brought us all together as well. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm not going to lie. I've been loving doing these retro shows, doing the WCW mm-hmm. one with you, yeah. Benno, and mm-hmm. Martin and JP was great. Fun. Um, but yeah, this was awesome. Reliving some memories, you know. Uh, Jamesy, great, to have you, great to do this with you as well. I was going to say, great to have you on. It's your bloody podcast. <laughs> great to have you on. Joe. Coming in, taking over, Joe. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm so used to being on my own podcast, you know. That 
Yeah, I'm not. Uh, it's, but thanks for having me on, guys. Honestly, I've really enjoyed uh, being on this brilliant. one. It's been honestly, it's almost one a.m. We got on this call at what? Just after nine. <laughs> it feels like about an hour's passed. If anything, yeah. I've, I've had a cracking time this evening. That's a good thing, I think. Same. Absolutely. Uh, the times of our lives. Just three lads getting together, tell them, telling our mid two thousands ROH war stories. That's uh, it. Was always going to go this long. I think that's just the way it was going to go. <laughs> no, no, we should do. I think we should do. You can edit this out, mate. I think we should do another one on. Uh, grapple at some point where we just maybe do like a random ring of honor show maybe do joe kabashi possibly on for that one and maybe we get jp on again and we do like regular grapple but invite jamesy on what do you think i love that idea jamesy you're up for it there you go it's staying in the edit we've got it we've got him confirmed now it's uh it's happening (laughs) awesome uh anything we should plug lads before we go joe where can people hear more of your voice in the next what 48 hours as well as mine well, I've plugged it already on this show, but Grapple Spotlight, like, I'm not going to lie, I put a bit of a cork on my WWE uh, thoughts in the last few days today. I'll be going hard and I'll be brutal on Grapple Spotlight, so come over there and I'm sure JP, a man who follows American politics closely and is uh, very familiar with the uh, work of uh, DeSantis in Florida and of uh, Mr. Trump, will be going even harder than I will. So it'll be a good one this weekend. I promise you that. And you'll have a great time over your fry up and your morning serving with Grapple Spotlight Sunday morning. Well said. Uh, <laughs> anything for, for you to plug, James, or for us to plug on this end? No, no, just uh, um, just follow me on Twitter at jamesy underscore 2015. That's about it. Awesome. Uh, you can't follow Joe on Twitter, but follow me at Benson Richard A, and I'll I'll take the pelters for Joe. It's kind of my role in life now. Me and uh, me and JP get them for, for your benefit, Joe. Uh, I think it's praise more than pelters, man. <laughs> it is to be fair. It's Look, a lot mate, I give the pelters out to the likes of Daniel Bryan, my accurate uh, <laughs> bottle shooting skills, and the rest of it. Very true. Very true. <laughs> also, get the ratings in on Grapple for the show if you watch it back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, another cheeky plug there because yeah, like I say, Gareth has put it. Driven is on there. Unified's on there. Uh, I think Supercard of Honor from this year's on there. So yeah, get your get it. if you if you're watching any ROH uh, retro stuff in in this heavy downtime that we've all got, then yeah, that's uh, appreciated if you download the app and get your ratings in. But as far as this end on post goes, yeah, me, Jamesy, and Mark will be back in two weeks, and yeah, hopefully we'll have some views to talk about Jamesy. We've got a a, a fun little looking uh, Riptide VOD to watch as well. But we'll uh, we'll have a bit of a catch up with Mark and find out what he's been up to, and yeah, hopefully catch up on uh, everything that's been going on in European wrestling. So yeah, that's it for us for another show. We'll be back in two weeks.